Welcome to the Nightbird Radio Podcast. I'm Timothy Saylor, and I'm going to be your host this evening as we sound out the subconscious, navigate the nocturnal, and explore the farthest reaches of our experience. Coming at you from a 1986 Dodge Ram van on the rolling foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains in the Great Forest, deep in the heart of the Kali Yuga. This is Radio for the Hauntological Turn. And welcome back, Nightbirds. I've got a great episode for you tonight. I talked with artist and illustrator Kurt Huggins, and we covered a wide range of topics. I'm really proud to present this conversation. It didn't even feel like three hours. We talked about H.R. Giger, H.P. Lovecraft, recovery, the Archons, angels, magic, just everything that you could hope for in a conversation here on the Nightbird Radio podcast. It really captures the essence of everything I, I wanted to cover when I started this. And so, like I said, I'm very proud to present it, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. So without further ado, here's the conversation. It's great to have you on, Kurt. I'm really excited about this conversation. I'm actually, uh, <clears throat> yeah, me too. I'm actually curious what, what, uh, what spurred you to ask me? Because I like... Um, you know, we're, we're, um, on some communities together online and I just, I like where you come at some of this stuff from, I just like your opinions that you've had. And I just figured you had some cool stories. Um, awesome. Okay. And I yeah, love your, it, and I love your art. Your art <laughs> is really cool. Um, I'm really excited to maybe talk about that a little bit. Um, but, no, uh, yeah. Can I if, talk about not, a, no, no, I'm not sorry. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Those off limits. <laughs> Awful. Um, no, I mean, I, I was actually thinking about it. It's like I don't, I don't know if there's a way to. I don't know if there's a separation between the two subjects. I don't think so either. Yeah, I think they're kind of. It's all one and the same. Yeah, um, yeah. magic, magic and art, and magic and art. Yeah, I don't, I don't think there's really. Um, it's funny because, uh, uh, like Alan Moore, who's a big hero of mine, and probably probably maybe one of the main reasons I've like pursued any of this stuff. I mean, he, he's basically like all like the early shamans or witch doctors. It was all one thing, theater, visual art, music, and like spirituality journey. Like all of it was one thing that's just over time slowly got pieced out and turned into like different things like narrative to all of it um uh so it's yeah i don't i don't think there's well at least in in my experience with with doing anything creative i don't i don't know that there's a way that for it not to be magical because it's really sort of uh you're you're swimming in the same waters you're maybe getting slightly different well, not even that. I, I don't even know if like the outcomes are that different. Right. Right. You know, you know? yeah. You're, I mean, you are bringing something into the world through this channel, whatever you want to call it. I mean, that's does you're yeah. conjuring. Yeah. And <clears throat> now I, you've done, you're, you, is it, is like the filmmaking stuff, is that like recent for you or is it something you pursued for a while? 
No, that was recent for me. That was actually kind of outside of my experience. Hmm. So it was a cool opportunity to learn some of that and it didn't really go anywhere, but that's okay. <laughs> you know I what I mean? It kind of led me to do this because this is really what I wanted to do, what I've been wanting to do for a long time. Oh, so, so like the, well, it's funny because the, uh, that's in my journey, that's, it's kind of like, uh, and this is a big, com- a big component of being doing creativity is failure. Right. And like, um, and honestly, like there's a, every, and this was something that <clears throat> it took me a long time to kind of come to, because I think there's a real, um, there's this real thing about, uh, especially when you're young about the idea of the genius, and that you're going to be like amazing right out of the gate. And that's just not true for 99% of people. And uh, the fact is, is that even the people that you see as being very successful are like really potent, powerful creatives. Often the, all the failures are hidden or they've just disappeared and faded. So you don't, you don't see them, but they're all there. You know, and I've, I've like read a lot, like, like writers, for instance, they'll, uh, they'll have, uh, 10, un, 10 books they never finished before they got to the their one that was published or whatever. So it's, uh, so they, I just think, I just think that's really interesting that you did this film thing and you're like, I didn't work out, but now I'm doing what I want to do. Well, and you know what, the thing that I enjoyed the most about it was like writing, which I already have done for a long time. And then, um, what I wasn't expecting to like as much was the acting stuff. Um, uh, which is again, it's performative, right? It, it sort of makes sense. Cause I don't know. There's just something very ritualistic about acting out a scene, especially one that, that I wrote. It was a, like a very potent high. You know, I can, ima- I can imagine it's, because it's uh it's i mean to tie it back into like these it's possession right yeah you know and it's willing possession yeah willing yeah it's it's you um and now there there might be some differences as far as like um i actually that's a funny question have you ever do you feel like you've ever actually experienced that um yeah possession yes now that oh, I look can, back on it, yeah. Go, oh, was it in the acting or was it something else entirely? It was at church. Oh, really? Okay, yes. yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was on a youth group trip that we would do, and we would do like the whole. And you know, the context is obviously like really weird because we would do the whole like I don't know if you're familiar with the evangelical forms of. Well, I mean, yeah, you're you spent time in Georgia, you know. <laughs> well, what's 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 so, funny? What's funny is I'm mostly ignorant of most Christian stuff, even though okay, I grew cool. up in Yeah. So this was um there's a performative aspect to this too, and it's where you kind of do this presentation where you like describe to someone why they need salvation. Like in this case would be like because you're a sinner and you know you're the worst or whatever. Um, explain the vehicle of that salvation and then there's like kind of an almost an ecstatic thing at the end 
you know, when after people have come up and decided to, you know, they're basically when they're giving their lives to Christ or whatever you want to call it, when they're being saved, you know, I, I think that is in, in a way a possession too. But so, but the context of my experience of possession was during worship, uh, singing, praying, and I would kind of like, it wasn't speaking in tongues because I was actually like, we called it prophesying. I was just like speaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, channeling really is what I would call it nowadays, right? Um, and yeah, just like words would just like pour out of me. And it was a really like really charged experience. And there's like people standing around like laying hands and stuff. It just in a Methodist context too. So not really common for that denomination at all. But you get into these kind of like nooks and crannies of it where like, I think I talked with um, with Michael a little bit about this on on that episode of like, it's weird how like you have like mainstream Christianity, but then you get into these little Bible studies where, and that's where like the real, like there's magic going on, like actual, but you have to kind of get into these little cracks and it's not always like that. I wouldn't call like a great context, right? Because we were like, I don't know. I didn't feel good about making someone feel shitty about themselves just so that they could feel good about being saved. But it's almost like, Oh, hey, you're mm. going to go through a mystery religion initiation and not even know <laughs> it is not like a cool thing to do to someone, especially <laughs> at that age. Oh, that's really interesting. Oh, my God. Okay. So that I have about 30 different directions. What you just said. Um, uh, let's let's start from the most recent thing. Um, one of which is it's funny you're talking about the, like the the weird magic is like in the nooks and crannies of Christianity because it seems like, um, you know the two big main throat, like rivers I guess you could say of Christianity which is Catholic Catholic Catholicism and Orthodox Christianity. The Orthodox has, and I've been reading about this. I've kept that mystic tradition alive. Like that's woven into their church more where it seems like I, I feel like the Catholic one is kind of like, it's sort of to the side now. It's not as like, although it's, it's, it's still alive. And again, the nooks and crannies, but it's not like as part, whereas like the Greek Orthodox, it seems like, oh yeah, we totally, there's a, uh, there's a book I was just reading. I forget the guy's name. Um, a Greek author. He was writing, it's called the mountain of silence. I think where there's this, um, in Greece, there's this totally autonomous uh, island that has been autonomous since, I think, the Byzantine Empire. And uh, it is ba- the whole entire island is a monastery. And all of the, all of the monks there, they, like, they pray like four hours a day, like eight hours a day, I don't know, forever. And there's this, this like rich... Um, like kind of oral history of like all of their like crazy spiritual experiences. And it's like reading this book was like, wow, this is like still happening. Like, like basically they're, they're still holding a tradition alive. That was like all the way back, back to like St. St. Francis of Assisi and stuff. Like people actually, you know, getting charged with, with the Holy spirit as it were. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. That that's that's really 
it's really fascinating. And then it's a, and then it's alive here in like the swamps and the like the right. woods and shit. You know? Yeah. And I should clarify because when I say mainstream Christianity, uh, that's, I should be more specific, right? And I'm talking about mainstream evangelical Christianity, which is where I had my experience with, which would be like the, you know, the redheaded stepchild third dream <laughs> of. <laughs> The, uh, the possible CIA-influenced Yeah. Well, oh, so. man, I was just reading about the um, the wandering bishops because I'm reading um, Sinister Forces, and I'm reading that chapter about – have you read it? No, I've never read it. Oh, my gosh. He goes into this whole chapter about the wandering bishops and, like, how it's basically just, like, all these intelligence I, – I, I don't even know how something like this comes about, but it's basically – it's heavily, in t- heavily, um, kind of infiltrated by intelligence people, and it's all these people kind of just collecting. Um, what do you call it? I don't know, being ordained as a bishop, but they collect being ordained from different people. So they just like, well, you know, that one might not have been legit. So they just get like a bunch of people to just. I'm not even doing a good job explaining this. It's really fascinating, though. So basically, they just they just keep getting um, you know a f- like a f- like becoming official. Yeah, they in, they, in different churches and different churches, different. and it'll be like different, really, like you know, like the Orthodox Catholic Church of America. It's like it's totally like just almost like a CIA front. Um, <laughs> it's really it's interesting. I, I yeah, that's a good book. Um, what well, you know, um. There was another thing you were talking about with, with in relation to the possession where like um, you, you were saying how like it's almost these people are, are getting thrown into a mystery cult initiation and they don't even realize it. Um, and I that kind of ties into this, the like one of the one of the things I kind of did on a lark was um, I did a uh, novena to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Right. And, um, I kind of modified it a bit because I, um, after the prayers, I would do this thing where I was, uh, I basically worked in tech from like, um, recce, you know, there was like, there's like this recce energetic thing where you like, you imagine the recce symbol and you breathe it into different, uh, chakras, like, I think we, I think there's even a recording of it somewhere on rune soup that, that, uh, Lance has run people through. So I basically did that, but instead of the, instead of a Reiki symbol, I was using the actual sacred heart. Oh, that's and, really cool. And, um, <clears throat> and then at the end, it was like, you would imagine like the energy coming in and then you, you know, using it to, to bless people like you'd imagine them and you'd build like, a, so I, so I went through this and then like, I, I finished it up and I sat down and I was like, well, I guess that was, that was interesting. That was kind of cool. And then I, f- I felt this thing and I'm like, Oh shit, I'm about to journey. Like, like it was, and then it, it was this crazy, like immediate, like, uh, snap into it. I'm, I'm in a trance state, my eyes closed. And then this thing unsquirls. And, um, I think the, f- I'm trying to remember what the first one was. The first one was, I think was actually me as Christ having sex with Mary Magdalene. Hell yeah. <laughs> and then that unspurled, I forget exactly. I'd have to read all the notes, but like 
So every day I did the novena, another one of these would happen. Like I would, I would just, I'm like, what, am I going to get a journey? And like, and then like, sometimes it was immediate. Sometimes it was like a minute or two, and then it would just sort of unwind. And the thing I realized about that is that, you know, how there's like, apparently, and I don't know how true this is, but apparently like insane asylums are filled with people who think they're Jesus. Right. I think those people actually are. They're connecting to this. Yeah, because, I think so too. I think we yeah, just put yeah. those people in an insane asylum. Insane asylum. <laughs> and, and then I think they put, we put them in the insane asylum. And then we, they also don't have the context because I have at least had some experience with draining and psychedelics and other things to where when this happened, I, I wasn't like, I wasn't like, oh, I'm Jesus now. Right. But I, I'm like, oh, this is a real thing that you can connect to. And I think, I think a lot of that is that like people are connecting to this because I don't think it's actually that hard to connect to. I think it's very present and um, I think they're getting, they're connecting to it and then they're, they have no context for it. So they think, Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm Jesus. I'm, I'm, I'm him born again. And it's like, yes and no. (laughs) Right. It's, it's realizing that you're Jesus without realizing that everyone else is also Jesus. Yes, exactly. Right? Like it's it's kind of centered inward instead of pointing out. And outward, um, yeah. There's a really interesting uh, Gnostic text from the Nag Hammadi, and uh, I believe it's called the Second Discourse of Great Seth. It might be the first discourse of Great Seth. If you're opening up your Nag Hammadi, just be aware of that. <laughs> but it it is basically a channeled text from the point of view of Christ. And it was probably written like, you know, I don't, I don't particularly even believe that Christ was necessarily like just one guy or something, you know, but yeah, like maybe second century or first century, you know? Um, and so it's from the point of view of Christ and it describes, it says there's a passage in it that says something like I entered the, I entered the body and evicted the occupant and he was no longer himself, but I was him. It's basically like Jesus the spirit that is Jesus narrating, like kicking the person out of the body of Jesus and then being indwelling in that as Jesus. And that's how that worked. Uh, It's really interesting. Um, Is this, is this, is this in, in the, you know, how there's like a whole bunch of those Gnostic texts that are just online. Is this one of those? Yeah. Yeah. It's the Nakamadi. You can get the Nakamadi online, uh, the Nakamadi library. Um, you know what? As as a matter of fact, let me look it up right now because the the passage is really cool. I mean, that that's so crazy that that is literally something that's that's woven into Gnostic texts. Yeah, and it's really interesting that that ends up in a, one of those lost books that was sitting in like a trash heap in in the desert or, you know, some barren terrain for so long and was only dug up in 1945. Like, that was just waiting for the right moment to come, I think. I like the idea that it was a dumpster. <laughs> yeah, and they, <laughs> and they started burning it. The family that found it was started burning it for because they needed to warm their house. And then they realized, like, oh, shit, these are scrolls. It's like, what got burnt? <laughs> really wild. Yeah, there, there there was some hand in that. I don't know what it was like. Oh, that one's a little too embarrassing. We need that one to go. Right. <laughs> uh, 
I'm not gonna be able to look it up right now. It's it's fine. Um, yes, but it can be. You can find it online. It's really cool. Man, that's that's really insane, um, and that's crazy that it directly ties into um, into the experience I had. Uh, and there was a couple of of those of like there was a, another one that I was I, I I think it was the second or third day where it was like. Um, I was like, am I going to be Jesus again? Is this what it's going to happen? And I, cause it kind of started and I was like embodied in like a tavern and I was like, quite, and then, uh, I realized I'm a Roman soldier and then we go outside and then it's actually run across Christ speaking in the street. And then, um, it eventually turns out that, that like I'm, um, the the spear belt spear bearer that kills oh yeah saint longinus or longinus that's it yeah saint saint longinus eventually it turns out that that's who and like i'm like what the what is this this is this is nuts and the and the fact that this is like and that's also another thing that it's hard for me to know like would would these experiences a be as intense if if i wasn't as like I've already, I spent most of my life like in the imaginal, like I'm very, like I'm very imagination driven. Uh, that along with like, I had done like a couple of years of like intense, like psychedelic stuff. Uh, it's psychedelic in a journeying spiritual context. And so I wonder like, even, even doing like the thing that first blew me away was, uh, <clears throat> was the, the archangel summoning. And, um, and I'm, I, after the, after they happened, I was like, this is literally like, this is like a DMT experience, but it's, but all you're doing is saying a prayer. You're drawing a bunch of squiggles and you're maybe setting a rock on it. And then you're saying, and then it's like right there. And then you're touching, I don't even know what you're <laughs> touching, uh, <laughs> some, some sort of strange fundamental aspect of, of reality. I, I don't know. But the fact that it's right there, and and I remember uh, the person that was leading that group. Yeah. Okay. So for someone that might not be familiar, could you describe what? Yeah, what that looks like. Oh, okay. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of the text. It's um, it's it, it's it's actually very common. It's woven into a bunch of different uh, like grimoires. I think like uh, what's his name, Rufus Opus's Seven Spheres is like built off of it or something. But it's like. I can't remember the name of the of the text, but it's it, it's something about like drawing spirits into crystals. I think is part yeah, of the name of it. Yeah, yeah. Do you know the name, the actual name of it offhand? I feel like the name of the text is drawing spirits into crystals. Spirits into crystals. Yeah. Okay. So, and it has different prayers for different archangels, and these prayers are like these. It's like it's like a three page run on sentence. I love those. And you you just you just start and go and you don't stop and um the particular person that i first did this with the guy was like trained as like a a buddhist monk so he he was reading this like very like specific like drone and it has this hypnotic effect as you're listening to it and it just goes on and on and on and um and it was funny before he started to say the prayer he was like you're going to have, once it's done, you know, you're going to have about eight minutes with the spirit. 
And then sure enough, like after like the actual experience, it, it was eight minutes. And it was like that, like, because he would, he would actually uh, hit a tone, like a chime when the time was up. But what was, what was fascinating is that the, every, every time, every time the spirit encounter ended, it would end first and then the chime would happen. So, oh, so that's cool. Yeah. 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 It, it, so, um, yeah, I don't know. It's just so, so much of this is so strange. And the fact, there's another thing I realized about so much of, of magic is that I think you could, I think, and Gordon, I think has talked about this a little bit. I think you could literally just completely be honest and forthright with people about all this. And 90, okay, 90% of people are going to be like, this guy's crazy. Yeah. 10%, 10% are going to be like, that's amazing. And never do anything about it. Like that they'll, and I was like that for a very long time where I was like, I was, I just sat at the edge of this, like reading and I'm like, this is really interesting. And it was like very theoretical, but then oh, yeah. once you, but once you like step in and fall into it, it's like, Holy shit. So can but, you talk a little bit about what that looked like for you? What, oh. what, how did you fall in? When did you oh. jump in? How did you fall in? <laughs> to the mystic, uh, the mystic river? <laughs> um, I think it's, I think it's like that quote, uh, very slowly and all, and all at once. Um, uh, it's hard to, it's hard to differentiate, um, because like, because from an early, since my early childhood, I've, I've, I've had like imaginary friends and all that stuff. And like I've said, I've, I've always worked in the imagination and doing creativity. So that was always a very active part of my life. And it wasn't, I, and then I've always sort of held like the, um, the metaphysical, like it's always been an interest. And like, I, I always read like fantasy novels and like, I was always obsessed with, um, I was, I was always obsessed with fantasy art. Actually, I was probably more obsessed with it than I was like, I remember I had like some Dungeons and Dragons books and I never played the games. I just Who looked at your the pictures. Oh, oh, that crew. There was, yeah. there was four. There's some such good fantasy art. Well, so, so the very, the first, very, first four that I think of is like the, the kind of the, like the original pillars of that, that thing was um, Clyde Caldwell, Jeff Easley, Larry Elmore, and there's one more, one other guy. Oh no, and I'm Keith Parkinson. And uh, and then later, uh, a guy named like Brom, he became like really, really. He was a uh, he was the next one that I think really stood out. And then after that, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I actually knew people that worked for them, um, but like. Um, those four in particular, I, I really enjoyed Larry Elmore at the time. I don't know if any of these names you recognize them at all. No, I was hoping to recognize some, but I didn't. It's well, cool because it? I just learned them now, so I'm going to look them all up. <laughs> Who were you thinking? Of? I'm I really was thinking curious. of like John Howe. Like oh, more yes. like Lord of the Rings stuff is where I kind yeah, of yeah, John uh, Alan Lee. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Alan Lee, Brian Froud. Yeah, it's but funny the, those guys. Those those guys are at a kind of a different level. They're like. I mean, as great as like those Dungeons and Dragons guys are, like Brian Froud and Alan Lee and John Howard, like I could like look at that stuff forever because I, you know, obviously like huge Lord of the Rings fan too. Like you'd have to be to find out about those guys, but <laughs> yeah. I don't know, or maybe not. What, what, what's what's funny is like even well, I'm sure you've seen the fairies book. I don't think I have. Oh, you don't know that book? That's no. um, so that's Alan Lee and Brian Froud. 
Okay. And, I'll check that and, one out too. You, you know, Brian Froud, right? Nope. Oh shit. Okay. So Brian Froud, um, uh, basically the entirety of both dark crystal and labyrinth are him. Oh, wow. Awesome. Um, okay. So he, I know him. I just didn't know him. Know yeah. Him, right? Yeah. He's like, he's like, and this is funny because, because I have this whole thing about like in the seventies of the eighties, there was, um, there's a group of like artists and illustrators that were really, as far as like the mainstream pop culture, they're really the core of, uh, the the wellspring of the imagination that influenced like the look of everything up until today and and it was a group of people that like it kind of like i i don't know that there's anyone that quite has their level of talent and and don't get me wrong there's very talented people but for some reason this group of people so so alan lee is one of them john howe is another one uh brian froud is definitely a huge one um uh uh mobius yeah, no Mobius for sure. Yeah, yeah. And uh, HR Giger. Oh yeah. Sid Mead. Oh, that's familiar. Uh, Sid Mead was the main concept artist for Blade Runner. Oh hell yeah! Okay. And and um, he was another one of these. Like he was he was basically uh, like a three D modeling computer with gouache and pencil. In the like like the the fact like the dude would do this complex like. Cause he, he loved like perspective and he could do this all by hand. He would, he could, he would draw like the surface of car and then he could determine like the, what the reflection of this surrounding space would be in the, the into the, like he would paint like a Chrome car and it would be reflecting the whole world around it. And like, you yeah. have to be in that world to be able to do that. Right. Yeah. Like you have to be transported into that world to be able to even do that. So anyone that, you know what I mean? Uh, yes. Anyone that wants to question that, I would just say, well, how would that be possible if that person wasn't going there? <laughs> well, and, and it's funny because I've talked to, uh, I've, I've had this discussion with a lot of different artists and illustrators and there's, they have a term for, I forget who was saying this. And he was like, some people are just projectors, meaning that th- there's it's just like the hand the hand goes down and then it works and it's like because I, and I can honestly attest to this like there, you don't think it's it's like straight the flow is straight through when it's yeah. like really going um, so yeah it is very much like you are in this reality and channeling it. Writing and, is like that for me too. I feel like. Um, just grabbing it out of the air or something like when i'm in the zone writing i don't it's not yeah it's just not me or it's i'm I'm participating in something with something else you know what i mean maybe a better way to put it yeah i i think i think i think there's a tension there and i think i think you have to you have to hold them in balance because I have to get out of my way you you do have to do that but you also have to understand that like uh because because i i was i remember meeting I did some one of the like a room suit meetup and I was talking to this girl who was like uh she was very young and she was she was uh she was doing a similar thing like she was doing creative work and then she was like she was like very despondent because she was like I don't always have the thing you're talking about like the flow uh and I'm like oh well the flow or the inspiration right and I'm like if you just wait for that that could that could come and go at will. You have to understand that you're also a part of this. 
So yes, there's that inspiration and that flow, but there's also the component of you doing the work. Yeah. Sitting in the chair and, and chair. Doing- yeah. And then, and you know, sometimes with writing, for instance, it's often the editing, like oh, yeah. it's you editing, not, not the the fucking muse like coming through and like the dancing muse on fucks your... off for the <laughs> yeah, yeah it's like that shit's hard that's oh, on right. you and it's like all shadow work even when I edit this podcast it is just me <laughs> doing this shadow work of listening to my own voice and counting the times that I say um you know what I mean <laughs> my God I have never thought of it that way but you were one thousand percent accurate in total shadow work <laughs> it is but I think that's really. I mean, yeah, it has no, to be you're, done. You, you, one hundred. I've never. Oh my god, I've never put that in context, but it's one hundred percent that because you're stuck with yourself. Yeah, and you're like, oh. And not okay. only that, but a lot of the time, I'm like, I'm like having to kill my children or something. You know? Like, yes. Really? Because yeah. I'm having to cut out. Like maybe there's a whole scene that isn't working, and I'm like, I really like that scene, but it alas, that, it doesn't, doesn't fall in the story. Yeah. Well, uh, well, sometimes it's like that, and you may find this is like those little chunks that you pull out end up growing into their own things. Oh, yeah. are like are like attaching to something else. Because I've noticed this, and it's very weird. It's like suddenly I was like, "Ah, oh, this isn't. Oh, this belonged with this thing." Yeah, uh, David Lynch and, has some cool stuff to say about that. I have sadly never read that fishing book. I haven't Is either, that- but I've, there's a you can there's a pretty good, and he must have done it at the same time as he was like maybe doing promotion for the book because it's just like a lecture he's giving about that whole thing, and he's talking about see the ideas as seeds, and you're collecting the seeds and you keep the seeds because you never know when one day that's going to come back. That's what it reminded me of, kind of what you were talking about. <laughs> that's totally nice with you. It's uh, there's a really great book. Um, uh, it was, it was actually like a direct, it was like a series of about directors and it was, um, um, and it was usually like the director's name on the directors. So, so there was like Lynch on Lynch, there was Cronenberg on Cronenberg, Burton on Burton, Scorsese on Scorsese. So it's all these interviews and there's a really amazing one. The Lynch one that I recommend anybody, it's like just an amazing book about creativity. And I mean, that dude is like, he's fates have touched him or something. I, I don't know. Oh yeah. Um, he's hooked up to the main vein. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I would, I, I, I concur. Um, there's, there's a story in there. Cause he started out like studying painting and like, I forget where he's from. He's from like Missouri or something. Some really like he's from there, like some Midwest state. And um, he's, it's him and like his buddy and they're showing their paintings to their teacher and they're still wet. And, um, his friend shows, shows it, shows it to the teacher first and the teacher gives his critique. And then it's like, and it's like, hey, well, David, do you have anything? And he's like, yeah. And he, he pulls out his painting and as soon as he pulls it out to show it to the, the teacher, a moth comes in, lands into the wet paint, flips around, and dies and he was like lynch is like whoa and it's like the painting suddenly the painting was finished by and that thing has continued in his work up until today and if you ever look at his um any of his like contemporary fine art 
he does stuff like this where he'll like uh he'll leave like rolled up like ham and bread on the surface and he'll have ants come and eat it all and then he'll like uh dump like epoxy resin on the ants and freeze them and make them a part of the image so he has this real and it's and it's sort of like really i mean that's a very direct way of being in relation to the reality and co-creating i mean it's it's just it's remarkable (laughs) Yeah, that's a cool story. So I'm going to get you back on track. Uh, you were talking about how you jumped into this. Oh, uh, into the oh, yes. into the the waters. Yeah, we got. It's cool though. I love when we kind of <laughs> go on a little side quest. Um, I'm going to see if I can just keep this on tangents and never get back on on track. Let's see. No, <laughs> um, I think it was really. Um, I was always sort of dabbling, and then as I got older, I dabbled more and more, and. I've always had these weird things. Um, I, like I remember when I graduated design school, uh, my, 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 my now ex-girlfriend, um, she was like, what do you, what do you think you want? And I was like, I want a job with a startup company, uh, with not a lot of people, where I can have a lot of influence over what we're doing. And, and like, we're just out of college. And she's like, that'll never happen. And, th- and it's funny. She went on like 9,000 interviews. Um, took her, I don't know how many to get a job. I did three. And on the third one, it was exactly what I asked for. And I was like, oh, I think I'm going to get this job. And I knew it. And, and, and she was like, you're not going to go for any more interviews. And I'm like, nah, I think I have this job. And sure enough, like two weeks later, they're like, you're hired. And I, I, I don't know what it was like. I just called it. Like I knew that that's what was going to happen. Um, and I've had instances of that. Um, the thing that I stumbled across is like, if I just, if I get into like a kind of like an automatic writing situation um, and I kind of state what I want in that automatic writing, they'll sometimes happen. And that was sort of my earliest like excursion into this where it was like, that's like a direct, that's basically magic. It's a one-to-one, but I don't, I don't understand on a larger context what's happening, but I know that there's something here. And I think, I think it was actually, um, after I broke up with that, that ex, and then I was like, I really need to get my, I need to change my life. Um, I met a group of people that were like doing, uh, plant medicine, basically. They were doing these like psychedelic excursions. Um, it was this one particular shaman person who, uh, who led it. And, um, uh, one of the most remarkable people I've ever met, honestly, like, uh, the, the first time I met him, he, I, he was like, we were talking and chatting and, uh, he was like, what do you, what do you think you want out of it, out of this? And I'm like, I think I want to like be able to get out of my own way and like, I, you know, to be able to not like self judge or something. And he did this thing where he was just like, he took both of his hands and put them on my torso, like on my chest in the back, like basically like sandwiching my heart. And I felt this crazy surge 
from the bottom of my feet all the way up to the top of my head. And then this like well fill, feeling of well-being, like just spring out and like inflate my body out from my heart. And I had never experienced anything like that in my entire life. And I'm like, okay, I'm definitely going to go and do uh, work with this guy. And I think that was, it was sort of, I don't remember. Uh, it was probably around then when I also discovered Rune Soup. And uh, I don't remember exactly when the, uh, when the, uh, membership came online. I don't know the exact, but I was one of the first people. Um, and it was funny because it came out of, um, it came out of Reddit slash R occult. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, and actually to go even further back, I think some of the earliest things I did, de- I dove into was like the disinfo books. I don't know if you remember those. I know of them, but I haven't read them. Okay. So yeah, there was like a, the disinformation guide to um, everything I think was maybe there was like volume one and two. And in one of those, I think is the like Grant Morrison pop magic thing. Oh yeah. Okay. So I've seen his, his talk at the disinfo conference conference. Yeah. And so this was sort of like a version of that in text. Cool. And I think this was actually before he did that conference. And like, it was, it was, so it was always this thing that was kind of on the edge, the periphery of, of my life and, and what I did. But then it only became front and center probably within the last five, six years, maybe. Um, and this is when, like, especially in relation to those like psychedelic journeys and diving into the RuneSuit membership, that's when it really became a much more prominent part of, of my life. Uh, and a focus. And it's funny because it's, it's actually just the thing you start to realize is it's just like, it's just actually being in reality. Right. Like it's like, being aware. Yeah. Yeah. Like actually aware. Yeah. And um, it, it's funny, the whole like Gnostic black iron prison and the like, beautiful world of reality is the same world. It's just the, it's just a peeling of yes. the scales away. The peeling of the scales is a scales great way away. to put it. I was going to say just a different pair of glasses. glasses. Yeah. And, and um, I, I think, I think the idea of the, the archonic idea of the Artanitness is literally it's, uh, it's a self-perpetuating prison. And it's like, it's the idea um of be of like the materialist idea that you're a meat machine separated from reality and isolated this isolated mistake. And it's really just a mental thing. Yeah. And yeah, I, I, you know, it's funny because there's the, the like it's becoming really popular, the theory of like the, the simulation that we're, yeah, we're in a simulation that. and, you know, the that. Gnostics kind of had this idea too of like a, of a matrix, but it's a spiritual matrix. It really, it just, if, it comes down to me. You don't need any of that because if you, if I can convince you that the world is this way, then you're going to experience that way and you're going to see it that way. And I'm in effect running that false program without any of that stuff, just with, if I can control your perceptions. 
you're the reality tunnels. Yeah. As, as uh, Robert Anton Wilson would say, like, yeah, like you've, you're jamming people into, and it's, it's, it's the, it's the, it's the trickiest set of fetters because like, like it took, honestly, it took like ayahuasca to break it for me. Um, really break it. Like it, it was like, it was thinking I, because there's, because there's a thing, there's a thing where in, I think in our culture where we, and we, we confuse uh, information with knowledge. Like they're not the same thing. Like you, you, you think, cause you have the information, you understand something, but that's not really how that's not, that's not actually understanding. That's not actual knowledge. Knowledge is actually experiencing and knowing the thing. So, so for like, for me, it was like, I thought I read all this stuff, you know, see the matrix or whatever. Like you, you think you understand that, but then when it's, when you're actually confronted with it, it's like, it's like a whole other thing. It's a whole other level. And then once you're, once you're broken out of that, it, that's even like, I don't, I don't even know how to describe that. <laughs> yeah. I don't either. I think the invisibles does a really good job of trying to, Yeah, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It, it experience. And then like you said, a knowledge and knowing the gnosis, like that's, why I really don't even people kind of want to ask me about narcissism sometimes and try to explain it to them. But I'm like, man, it doesn't really matter because my <laughs> version of it is not going to really do much for you. It's my, it was my experience of it. Like everyone has their own, you know? Yeah. That's and, why I like to that, pluralize it. And I just to say Gnosticisms. You yeah. Know? I mean, yeah. I think that was kind of their point. Right. Was right. that like, um, we're just trying to get you to actually experience this stuff, not theorize about it. And yeah, and not only is is information mistaken for knowledge, but um, I would venture to say that wisdom is mistaken for foolishness. But that's kind of how it's always been, I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, what white right? That's the most powerful. Toward the tarot, probably, right. Uh, and it's always it, it's funny because uh, uh, there's a in in Taoism there's this uh, state called Wuji, which is um, and <clears throat> part of the meditative practice is you stand Wuji. It's the standing meditation practice, and the whole thing is about like finding the balance between all these different tensions. And what it's really doing is it's like, it, it's the same idea as in, I think in physics, they have this idea of the zero point, this, this, this place where that exists everywhere in the universe, if you can only touch it, which is, a, which is like, you could access infinite energy. And the, and the reason for that is because it's infinite potential. And you only get there by basically returning to the full, like going back to zero, going back to nothing and then you become like endless potential. Um, I'm not sure where I'm going with this. It just oh, it reminds me too of, of like Socrates. That's how he would talk to people, and he would just say, "Well, I don't know anything, so you're gonna have to tell me." You know, and he would get them to say these things, and you know, and 
But really, he would just always claim that he didn't know anything. And it really pisses people off if you want to never try to use it. It's kind of awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's what the cross is, is that point of omnidirectional potentiality. I think it, that taps into into that idea somewhat. And that's why that's such a powerful symbol that's been used. Oh, that's, uh, yeah, that's true. Cause it's, it is the crossroads and it's the same as like, it overlaps with all these other different concepts. Like the, I mean, you know, it's problematic probably to talk about, but like the medicine will too, and the four directions and then like, but I mean, it, it's this fundamental thing of like placing yourself in space. Yeah. And, um, and connecting with like the axis mundi. Right. The ancestral uh, healing stuff that uh, Daniel Ford does is is cool in that way too because he likes to use the um, the mandala mm. family tree, which places you in the middle, and then you mm. have your four lines in each direction. Uh, That's really cool. You know, same idea, right? Yeah, it's it's interesting that like that the four directions are just so fundamental to any sort of ritual or magical practice. Like you, you almost always have to declare it before you get started. Um, I, I, you know, I guess it's just, it's just about the specificity is like, I'm, I'm here. I'm no, I'm, I'm here both in place and time. I'm here. Um, I mean to be here, baby. There, yeah. Yeah. This is, this is purpose. This is, I'm not just stumbling through. This is, I'm this, I'm doing this on purpose. Yeah. Uh, which I guess get, gets into like intent. And like, you know, how that, um, how that is such a huge component of, of like, of all of this too, the idea of intention. And I guess that goes in the idea of will. I don't know. Um, yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Did I answer your question of like, yeah, I was fun- actually going to ask you a follow-up question and that was going to be, do you want to talk to me about some of your imaginary friends when you were a kid or anything like that? Uh, what were you afraid of? What were you afraid of when you were a kid? What was I afraid of? Were you of? afraid of anything? Everything. Yeah, me too. I was afraid of everything. I was afraid of um I was afraid of the dark. I was afraid of heights. Uh I was afraid of dogs. Um uh what wasn't I afraid of? <laughs> I'm trying to think, yeah. And it's funny because I think that drew me to like horror and dark darkness like like i i read i read lovecraft really early man that was like, the first thing i even read man i wouldn't read really until i found lovecraft and i was off to the races do you remember how old you were man i was in like middle school same so okay which yeah is what what is that age um i'm not good at this yeah no me neither i'm terrible Maybe like with early time. adolescence yeah it was very it was it was around there it was that's really cool to hear that from you man because (laughs) (laughs) i i yeah i was i was it's actually it's funny uh some of the earliest things i remember was uh because there was a lovecraft collection that my father bought and i remember it had this cover by and actually i later met this guy michael whalen i don't know if you know him 
He's, he's a he's a famous. Well, uh, I, w- I might know his work because I love the covers of all the Lovecraft stuff. The, like, the, that was one of the, my favorite things. I would collect things. the books, even though they had the same stories. Mm-hmm. To race. The, 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 okay, so this particular collection had they all the covers, and at this era, all the covers were these black and white paintings with like red highlights. So it, they would it like famously like there was this the this one had a wraparound that was sort of a collection of all the other um individual books and so it was like there's like this guy like hanging from a tree wrapped in spider webs and there was all these spiders over him with like red like uh, abdomens and everything yes i remember that one vividly you remember that and then there was like this giant like eye with like it was almost like a thumb shape people that was like yes. black and that was red so so that was that was the edition that my father bought and i remember i constantly looked at that cover and i was like what is this and like my dad would tell me about it he was like oh he's this author he's like it was very influential i, I don't even remember exactly what my father said he was just like he was very because my dad i think my dad was trying to become a writer like he wrote like uh through my childhood, he he was a landlord, but mostly what he did is he like the the managing the apartments was just to sort of fund him to try to become a writer. And so he had this office in, in our garage and he would write there every day. He got he collected a stack of books. And I think I, I guess he I guess he he wanted to write a heart novel. So and of course, like Lovecraft is the guy, you know, he's he's who you reference reference and um i remember uh i remember when i i remember the first i think the first book I, first story of his i read was the haunter in the dark Great. do you know that one yeah yeah where the where the hunters that end up like sleeping in the same bed and there's a guy in the middle and whatever it is that's that's stalking them like takes the guy to his left and then takes the guy to his right and like um and I don't. I think he ends up running away. I think I don't remember exactly how it ends, but, it, but I also remember there was like it had an, a giant eye with like three lobes or something. That I remember. I remember that little, little detail. Um, but what was funny is that like I would. Uh, oh, and so that so so I was drawn to that, but I was also probably drawn to it because I was also obsessed with like horror movies. Like my very one of my very earliest memories is watching through a keyhole the chestburster scene of alien love it <laughs> oh yeah and i think i was like four yeah we i, I was we were early on that stuff too me and my brother. <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> and you know and this this was uh this was uh, I don't. I don't think kids are allowed to do any of this at all anymore. I don't know if this is quite a thing. Everyone I know that has kids, they do. They keep them away from this stuff. Whereas, like my dad didn't give a shit. I remember we. Uh, yeah, ours didn't either. Yeah, I we saw. I think we saw just about every Nightmare on Elm Street movie in theaters. My favorite was the Dream Warriors. Did you ever see that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, cool. Which is all. It's also this excellent, weird, hallucinogenic, strange movie. Yeah. Um, but I remember seeing it with my, it was me and like my older cousins and then also my younger cousins. <laughs> nice. <laughs> maybe like three or four years younger than me. And I'm like, maybe 12. Hell I'm yeah. like, <laughs> These are great days. <laughs> yeah. 
Okay, so speaking of dream warriors, I think my favorite parts of Lovecraft were like the dream cycle and like the um, Randolph Carter and those, like the dream quest of Unknown Kadath. I never read those. I always oh. meant to, and I never did. Okay, so they were like they were like fantasy stories, but they were all they all took place in the dream world. So Randolph Carter was this kind of like Coleridge esque. Um, he's pretty much an occultist, right? And he would like smoke a sheesh and opium or what have you. I can't remember which one it was. And then go to sleep and, and take astral flights or whatever you want to call it journeys. Yeah. They're really cool stories. I highly recommend you check them out because they're very pertinent to your interests based on what we're talking about. I, I will, I will definitely, you know, what's funny is that um, I know they're influenced by this other guy. I Lord Dunsey or Dernsey. Oh yeah. Dunsany. Dunsany. That's it. Um, I, I, yeah. Uh, you know, it blows my mind, like all those guys, because this, this speaks to like, kind of how, like I was talking about, there's like this, there was this, uh, creative, um, source that was all these illustrators that ended up influencing all of like movies and pop culture for decades. That, that era of pulp writer around Lovecraft, like all the people that surrounded him, they were kind of like the nascent version of what came Actually, it's still reverberated in our pop culture now. Like so much of what's bubbled up to become mainstream started with those guys in the like 20s or 30s. And, and it all sort of circles around Lovecraft because he had this like extensive, it was like basically the chat room of the time was sending letters to each other. Right. Yeah, and and he has he has this like ridiculous library. He was like a prolific letter writer. Um, I, I had a whole collection that was just his correspondence with uh, Robert E. Howard, who wrote Conan. Oh, that's so cool! I would love to read that. Oh my god! <laughs> I mean, that's I mean, like the... everything I love about everything. <laughs> and it's kind of except for I, I, you know, sometimes except I for... twinge to think of here Lovecraft's private thoughts, but fuck it. <laughs> Well, I mean, I think I think even that's that's interesting, like to know, oh, yeah, yeah, like how fucked up kind of people were back then. Um, yeah, no, no. When I, when, I mean, it was when I discovered that existed, I was like, I, I am definitely reading this because that's that's insane that these guys knew each other. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's I don't know. Also, in, in some way, I think I think we're. It, in some strange way, an outgrowth of that. If you think about it. Oh yeah. Um, cause, cause we're sort of, um, we're bubbling up in the, in the rhizome of rune suit as it were. Right. <laughs> Which is, yeah, that goes back to that as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've been reading the Simon Necronomicon, um, and I've I'm, never, uh, what is that like? It's cool. I mean, it's, it's also Peter Lavenda. Probably he says he didn't write it, but probably because it was, because <laughs> it was more channeled than anything else, but uh, it's cool. And, and I mean, it's, it's like kind of situated within uh, Babylonian and Chaldean magic 
Mm. But then it has the Lovecraft connection too. And I had some really strange synchronicities regarding it. And I always kind of was like, oh, that's fake. Yeah. Until I, uh, you know, realized that that doesn't matter. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's all fake. <laughs> you know, like, it's all someone's lens of, on it, you know? Yes. Like, to me, one of the truest things that's ever been written is Lord of the Rings. Yes, it's yes. Just, it's there's so much in it that's truer than reality. Truer than true or however you want to put it because it's because it taps to that mythical level that's able to be that true. Yeah, it's sort of like it's like if you say this is pretend you can get at to you can actually get at a, get to reality better. Right. Because it it's removing um, it's, it's, it kind of goes back to the idea of like that, that Gnostic, the arconic lens or whatever, it's pushing that aside. And it's like, we have to pretend to leap over this barrier. I like that. To, to get to the reality. Um, uh, oh man, that, that was making me think of something else. And now I can't, oh, I, yeah, I've never, um, so is two things about that, that Simon's Necronomicon is like, A, I've always like, if you read Lovecraft, why would you want to actually engage with these things? Right. Like th- that, that never made any sense to me. But also, um, two, like that, that symbol that's on the cover, which is that weird, like, sigil, the circular thing. I, I, I remember I ran across, it, it was funny, I was, I was getting coffee at this, like this coffee shop that's like in my neighborhood that's like, around the corner and i was i there was a guy in front of me in line who had that symbol tattooed on his arm like his forearm and uh after i ordered my coffee i turned to him as he was picking up his and i was like science ne- necronomicon huh and he was like yeah and he nodded and i i swear to god i felt my it felt like this internal string like my spirit go boom and I'm like, did that dude just do something? What the fuck was that? Man, that's cool. <laughs> that's one of those encounters where I'm like, yeah, that wasn't a human. <laughs> Maybe not. You know, it was a person, but it was, might not have been a human. You know, <laughs> that's cool. Um, so in my opinion, and I want to, I want to do some rereading of Lovecraft with this lens. Um. But so why you would want to do that is because now in, in this time of my life, I can look at it and see that these like brown occultists that were summoning otherworldly beings are actually like, oh, shit, maybe they're the good guys. <clears throat> okay. You know? Like, oh, you know, they're cavorting down there in New Orleans. It's like kind of like listening <laughs> to your grandma talk about what they were doing in jazz bars. And you're like, well, that sounds like fun. Oh, interesting. So, so it's actually that. Uh, um... <laughs> okay, so so the Lovecraft God. But with the same horror twinge, like I'm not taking it uh, lightly, either, right? Well, it's, it's actually but what it really is, is it's the first part of it or I haven't finished it. I'm still kind of chewing my way through it. But mm-hmm. so the first part of the operation is basically like a Chaldean mystery school, like um, going to each planet mm-hmm. until you've reached, I think the last one is 
Saturn. Saturn. Any, yeah. Any, this, I think I want to say it's the Sun and the Chaldean one, but I think in this one it's Saturn. I don't. I don't know. But yeah, you might be right. Did you say Saturn? I said Saturn, and that's only okay, because then, yeah, you're probably right because it's. Uh, the, the the reason I say that is because uh, that's how it was in the the Seven Spheres. You know that little green book that's by Rufus Opus. Yeah, I haven't read it. Uh, it, it's, it's, this. that was one, that was an early operation I did was that I operated on that book. Um, I actually didn't get a lot out of it. Um, I'd be, I'd be sometimes curious. Just, sometimes just the doing it is the best. It's I the, it's at the least most, I did it. Yeah. is the most important thing. I, I'd be, I'd be curious to revisit it now. I, I wonder what it would be like now going through it. Yeah. Um, but so the first part of it is that, and it's like, so these are the zoned ones. And once you've communed with all the zoned ones, then you go, to the Azanai, the unzoned ones, which I think are like fixed stars, but there mm. it's got a Lovecraftian lens to it. It's, mm. It feels, it feels right, you know. Mm. It's just got like, it's got that that hint of, you know. But you could lose your mind, so you know you have to do these <laughs> sigils against the watchers at the threshold and stuff. You know, like. When you're going out into these realms, like other things are going to kind of come after you, like a Hounds of Tindalo style trap, <laughs> you know, that you're, you're, I don't know. It's, it, it does sound kind of like, oh, this is like for real. It makes, me, <laughs> it makes me want to do it more. <laughs> like the same, basically the same folly that befell every Lovecraft <laughs> protagonist, right? Is that like Faustian thirst for knowledge leading to untold horrors? <laughs> uh, John uh, Carpenter is so much in that vein too, right? Oh, for sure. Um, I love him too. He's another yeah. like favorite of mine. I think The Thing is one of the best horror movies ever made. Oh, it's my top five of movies just in general, I think. It, it actually might be the best Lovecraftian movie ever made. Yeah, it's got the best tentacles. Yeah, those monsters are incredible. Oh, they're so scary. Uh, they, yeah, and there's nothing, a body I, horror aspect to it. Yeah, and I don't. It's funny how old that movie is, and then like they still hold up. Because I, uh-huh. I remember, I remember, I've I introduced people to that movie like three years ago, and they were blown away. Like nice. it's it's still that like yeah, it's it, it's a there was there was a spate of them. There was like the three. What I think are the three best horror movie, three of the best horror movies ever made, and they're all three monster movies. Which is, um, John Carpenter's The Thing, Cronenberg's uh, uh, The Fly, nice, and then Alien, too. and then yeah. Alien, um, and uh, actually, I mean, Giger, Giger could be a whole podcast on yeah. <laughs> He was channeling something too for sure. You know, it's funny. He's the only artist. Um, because he was, I also encountered him very, very early because I was, you know, obviously the, the, the chess versus thing, but then later there was this magazine star log. I don't know if you ever remember this thing. No, but it sounds uh, great. It, it was, it was this sci-fi magazine. So it, it was like kind of out like this Fangoria for horror. There was star log for science fiction. And, you know, so it was always like at the era, it was like shit like Battlestar Galactica and star Wars and star Trek and everything. And, um, uh, in the back of those magazines, there was these ads for books on H.R. Giger. And they the the advertising image was always his uh, concept painting for the alien, the profile one, yeah. where it's kind of got the like 
phallus thing coming out of its mouth. And I, and like, and they would only, there was only like a couple other images that would kind of show up occasionally. And he was also this sort of like forbidden thing because the other thing about his books, I don't know if you've ever, have you ever seen them in person, the HR Giger books? Um, like, a, what do you mean? I mean, uh, I've seen like, books of HR Giger, but are you talking about like he had, there was ones there were, there was ones that were published by something called gallery Morpheus, which was just basically him. Um, they represented a couple artists later, but, but, but it was majority of him. And they were, they were way oversized. They were probably like, they were like 11 by 17 or 13 by 19. They were like really big books. And, and they sort of like, they were of such a size that they kind of only existed on a shelf by themselves. Yeah. And, you, right. and, you, and like, you're coming at it, you know, I was younger, so I was a kid. So they were gigantic. And it was, uh, I remember I kept trying to, to engage with the books. My dad would take me to this. There's this bookshop called the Sci-Fi and Mystery Bookshop in Atlanta. Um, long gone. But they had his books on like a mid to top shelf. But I was always scared to pick them up and open them. Because it was like this thing where I was like, I'm not supposed to be looking at those. So I was like being a good kid and staying away. And, and I got to a certain age where like uh, me and my dad would go to a bookstore, Oxford Books. I don't remember. You remember Oxford Books? Yeah, I remember Oxford Books. Books. Uh, it was for those that don't know, it was one of the most amazing bookstores in the world. It was in Atlanta and it only existed for, I don't know how long, but it was just this giant cavernous place that like made no sense. I don't know who laid, like it was laid out by like a degenerate or something. It was, it was laid out by, by a Lovecraftian, uh, uh, a sufferer. That's a good bookshop. <laughs> Where it was just this like cavernous labyrinth of, of um, I, I don't if there was organization. I couldn't tell. As it should um, be. As it should be. Uh, and it, I think it was sort of like four different buildings jammed together. But um eventually we were in there and I was, I was old enough to where like I could wander off, wander off on my own. And I went to one of the, like the information chaos that the people was, were sitting behind. And I was like, do you have any books by HR Giger? And the guy was like, uh, yeah, I'm not sure if you should look at them, <laughs> but he was like, Okay, they're over. He pointed me out to him, and I went. I went and looked at them, and I and they. I took them off the shelf, and I remember they were. They're one of the only pieces of art that made me nauseous when I first encountered them. Um, now I'm I'm at a point where like I can just they're like, I you know I've been I've been desensitized, so they don't they're not. That's important to me though. But so put a pin in that and that, continue. Okay. Yeah, so so but I just remembered because because I mean he he goes into some really dark fucked up places. Right. Um and what's funny is if you ever see interviews with him, he's this like fucking goofball. He's this Swedish goofball who's like dressed, he's like, I'm a vampire, but he's like he's such a just a like silly ass. Um but he he had he was he legitimately tapped into this very like dark undercurrent. And what's funny, um you know, he was, he was potent to me. And I, I, and I was like, he's one of those artists that sort of just come out of nowhere. Right. So there's like a, there's like this steady stream of art. And then you get these occasional people that pop up that are like, 
where did this come from? Like HR Giger is really one of this, one of these guys where it's like, what the fuck is this? Like yeah, this, that shit's this, from another planet. Planet. Yeah. It's literally, but what was funny is that I eventually in college, I, I, I started studying Northern Renaissance art and there's a couple of select guys. Uh, I, I encountered a, this term um, is, it's, I love, I love it. It's Latin. It's, it's horror vacuate, horror vacuate, excuse me, horror vacuate, which means a fear of empty spaces. And it was in reference to the fact that Northern Renaissance paintings would have no empty wrestle space. They would fill every inch of them with something. So they, they, there was like this, so they were very like dense and cluttered and Giger being Swiss is sort of a continuation of this, of this tradition of like, because he's like, I start in one corner and I go to another and he just like, it's, he doesn't like design it so that there's wrestles, but he just fills the whole thing. It's like, he, it's like he's scared of something not being there. And, and he's sort of tapping into this and there's these, there's a couple of select painters. The one that stood out is this guy, Franz Flores. You can look it up. And he, he did these paintings of like, demons and hell and it's just these humans like and creatures like just jammed together in this canvas like the canvas is just dense with people and things and i'm like oh he's there's still something he's carrying through like so he's not completely out of nowhere but but he he's still his own thing but but there's still sort of this weird tradition that's winding its way further back um but yeah, he, he, I still think he's amazing. I, he's sort of like, I don't know. It's weird. He's influential to like 90% of like a horror and alien video games like are based on him. Because the first place, the first time, and it's interesting too, because I have a sort of similar story where I remember being in, I think it was like maybe like a Sears when, when they sold everything or maybe, I don't know. It was in, it was in Michigan. When I was very young, and I don't I don't remember what store it was, but it was in like the video game to- or toy section, and it was a Giger work, and I remembered it. Is a computer game? It might have been a computer game. Yeah, Dark Seed. I don't know, but I just remember seeing it. I'll have to look it up. Okay. For this, and if I see it, it's gonna blow my mind. But it just I just remember seeing just like a poster of it. Mm. you know and but it's stuck in my mind forever just going through the whole thread of my life it was like something that i kind of always looked back on and i didn't really even think about this until you mentioned that and i'm kind of like resurfacing that memory you know what i mean Mm. yeah because a lot of that early stuff is very foggy to me but yeah i remember it making me have this feeling that i couldn't describe at all yeah it was just like some it's yeah some kind of itch or like like you said it made you gag like nauseous yeah nauseous yeah um and it's really all good everything that i really like if i experience it maybe early enough or maybe when i'm not ready for it yet or maybe that's just the transgression that brings it into my soul space, but mm. it kind of will 
initially register as a disgust almost or because it's 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 another at that moment until you kind of yeah you know what i'm where i'm going with that yes i do uh because it because it's 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 taboo yeah it's, it, it's something it it's rips something, the veil or veil away. yeah it's um and it's funny because like as you're describing the feeling like where you put your hands in front of your body i'm like that's exactly where i felt that and it's like, like it's like the solar plexus yeah, type area right yeah this like weird like churning like whoa and and uh but there's something about it like you can't turn away and you want to go more you want to yeah. see more of it yeah. and like i might have to put it away but i'm not going to stop i'm going to i'm going to come back to this that's why i like um, to ask what you're afraid of when you're a kid because I was so afraid of all these things that I am obsessed with now, but continue. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I I think, and so he sort of, what's funny is I've had, um, I've had psychedelic journeys that basically will briefly turn into Giger's face. Oh, cool. And uh, And also scary. (laughs) Well, what's funny is that I don't, I'm like, Oh, okay. Like they don't frighten me at all. I'm like, oh, cool. I'm, <laughs> I love it. Yeah, yeah. I'm in fucking Giger's space again. Um, uh, there was, I actually, I remember that there was one that was, um, it was a mushroom. Actually, this was crazy. They they used to do, there was, in that group, they had this, um, this thing that was a combination chocolate that was supposed to be psilocybin and ayahuasca together. Um, I, I don't, they called it Ma. I, I actually, I'm probably t- talking at a turn. I don't know if I'm supposed to talk about this, but whatever. Um, um, that's what they said it was. I, you know, if that's what it was, I don't know, but it definitely like fucking threw me into outer space. But it was funny because one of the things was like, it threw me into this like very gory, weird HR gear, like, like, like fleshy gray forms moving into each other. And like, and I remember like seeing almost like this wolf thing. And then it was like the mushrooms or whatever grabbed it and smashed it into my face and like crushed it and like smeared it across, across my, like my vision. And I was just like, okay. Um, And I'm like, I I guess you're taking care of that for me. I don't know. But what was funny is later on in the trip, like it was the space sort of changed into this like weird, like, almost like kaleidoscope hyper reality. And at some point that thing that had been smeared fell down almost like it was like a, a dead dog from the rafters or something. And then like sort of bounced off shit. As, and it, it was just like, it was such a, like, I know it doesn't sound it. It was fucking hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, yeah. So like I, what what I what I got out of that was like I this is stuff that I think if other people would probably be freaked out if they were experiencing this, but meanwhile I'm like oh this is cool, like show me show me weird like mauled fucked up teeth deformed things like I don't that doesn't bother me I'm totally okay with it, um, and yeah I don't <laughs> it's funny I, I haven't even. I haven't really thought about that stuff in a long time. Uh, 
but it is, it is kind of this weird, like I have a comfort with that reality. And the thing is, is like, did that reality exist before Giger? Yeah. That's a good question. Yeah. Did he tap into it or did he, I I think there's definitely like a co-creation going on too, because like you said, it does involve, it involves both the muse and the artist. And so like, yeah, Giger was going into Giger space. Lovecraft was going into this dream world slash this very precariously situated earth. Tolkien was going to middle earth and they were going there, but the way that it's expressed through them is unique kind of in the same way you're talking about how Giger was carrying a through line mm-hmm. from the, from, you know, was carrying um, a tradition along um, of that fear of empty spaces, but it was brought through him in a, in a totally new way, new way, which actually, um, it's kind of like the Fae and aliens, if you think about it. About it, yeah. He he he. Um, and he was. He's also. He's influenced by Lovecraft, right? Oh, that makes like, sense. Because what? Because two of his collections. One's called the Necronomicon. The other one's Necronomicon Two. Um. So he. Uh, I don't. I think he might have. There was even a painting of his called "What's the What's the City Cthulhu Lives in." Dreams in, oh, really, yeah, or I don't know how to. Really, yeah, it. I yeah. can't ever say it. That's why I was trying to get you to say it, so I wouldn't have to. <laughs> I will give it a shot. Real, yeah, that's how I was. Really, yeah, yeah. I think he has a painting with that name. With that as its name, um, you know, it's funny because, like, I remember in art college, like, he's one of those guys that like everybody loves, but but like, he's not accepted by the mainstream because they don't know how to put him into historical context. Yeah, and the major so hates that. Yeah, so he just sort of sits on the outside. Like, um, oh my gosh, how are we going to fit you into our arbitrary canon? Exactly, and that's yeah. You you you're not doing uh, weird squares and fields of color, so we don't know what the fuck is going on. <laughs> uh, although you're clearly tapping into something frightening, but we don't know. Uh, we're just going to avoid that. Yeah, it's really funny. There was something else that I had, but I lost it. I think. How, You'll find um, it again. Yeah, it'll come back. How are you <laughs> feeling about time, man? I feel like we've already talked for an hour and twenty minutes. Oh, have we? Yeah, which it doesn't feel like at all. <laughs> no. Um, I, I'm good to go as long as you want. You're good. To, I don't. I mean, care. yeah, I'll go until we kind of aren't. We until we run out of stuff. I'll run out of steam at some point. <laughs> I think I think I think we should rogue in it. We should go full Joe oh, yeah. and just keep sure, going. Could. Yeah, and then I won't edit it at all because I'll say fuck that. <laughs> I, I mean, I think at a certain point, it's like, I mean, it's more natural. I think I don't I don't know that we're we're stumbling over our words very much. So yeah, no, I I don't think so either. I mean, what is it? What is it like editing these things? I don't even know. I would take out the conversation that just occurred in the last 20 seconds where we're talking about editing it. You know what I Why? mean? Why? <laughs> Why? Leave that in. I don't know. You know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I leave that in. No. Like, I, I, I think. I think uh, it does it, come down to more of a, like a self-consciousness sometimes. Yeah. And, and I totally get that. But I think, I think there's something more fun about because, and it, here's why. Okay. Here's why I think you should leave that in because that's part of the creative process. And part of the creative process is talking about the creative process. 
Yeah. And, um, and like, you know, I like that every, every painting, if you flip around is a piece of fucking canvas stapled to some wood and that's just reality. And at some point someone had to talk about making that, that ship sail and gluing it to a piece of wood. So I think that's, I think it's okay to, to, to leave the, the raw, the raw stuff in. And, and uh, I think it makes it more real, honestly. And then it's less work for you. And then yeah, you can be, I, and then you get to be lazy and say, Oh no, it was total creative decision. <laughs> Absolutely. I was going to say, that was actually what I was about to say with that. I love this because not only is it a beautiful, a beautiful way of putting it, but it also allows me to do less. So. <laughs> oh. Well, you know, less is more, right? Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. And uh, show don't tell. <laughs> I'm certainly going to show it. Uh, you, you could just uh, you could say that that you're tapping into into Taoism, and you're just letting you're letting it be being in the but, flow. Yeah. Yes. Um, no, I like that idea. Anyway, I mean, honestly, like a lot of the stuff I listen to does the same thing. I can tell. Yeah, I don't. I don't. Sometimes it becomes really apparent, like, like you'll notice like a, a, a dramatic shift in the conversation and it's like, oh, clearly something was spoken that they didn't want to. Um, I think it's more often that it's not that they they're worried about like revealing the seams of stuff. It's usually more like, oh, maybe we shouldn't have gone there. And then they'll have that. They'll cut the thing out. And um, um, uh, I was actually curious. Um, so you, when did you, when did you live in Atlanta originally? So you left and you just came back. More yeah. Or less. So I lived, I lived in Atlanta. Um, so I grew up in Roswell, Georgia. Okay. And like Alpharetta area. And then I lived in Atlanta from like 2018. Not like long did I actually live downtown in Atlanta. I went and lived in, in a small town in middle Georgia for a while called Milledgeville for like 12 okay. years. And I moved around a lot. I've always moved around a lot. Uh, it's kind of one of the side effects of being an alcoholic. Okay. A lot, a lot of what we call, what we call in the, in the rooms, a geographical. It's just, <laughs> it's well known. It's like, Oh, you did a geographical, huh? You crossed state lines. Okay. Like, you know, just say is, no more. Is it, is it something where, uh, that, that okay. I'm really curious um, if you're cool talking about it. I love talking about it. Okay, is it something to the fact of like if you is it a that you the the reason to move is it is it a like embarrassment or b that you feel like I don't know if embarrassment is even the right word. Oh, it's probably like, a lot of it's embarrassment. It's like oh, yeah, I tapped this place out. I pissed out. off everyone I know mm-hmm. here. Okay, right. so that is that is some of it. It's like, oh, yeah. I'm going to start over, and then maybe there's a hope that it'll be different. Yeah, but wherever yeah. you go, there you are, kind of thing. And okay. to me, it was actually necessary to do some of these because it made me realize that the symptom, well, that the problem drinking and problem drug use was a symptom of trying to run away from mm. things. It wasn't the other way around. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes. My 
unwillingness to face the reality of my life was the spiritual disease that was that was manifesting itself as drug addiction. Mm. You know? So I am not one of those people that thinks it's a disease that you have for the rest of your life. You can recover, you know? Yeah. And it's always like, yeah, I probably shouldn't. Like, I'm not like there's stuff I won't do anymore, but it's a choice. Yeah. You know, I get to choose now and I just choose not to do those things because I know they usually, they usually under a bridge or something. Yeah. But I think it's, it's a very shamanic thing too, is I think what, what a lot of addicts represent is a contingent of people that, okay. So for me and my experience, it was necessary that I live on a spiritual basis or I would die. I had to come in contact with some power, with some source of power that would allow me to do what I knew was the thing I wanted to do and not keep doing what I didn't want to do to put Mm. it in a biblical sense. Right. That's the thorn in Paul's side. He talks about that, but so I needed some, but, but to put it simply, I was powerless because of just the condition I was in and I needed some sort of connection to some kind of power that would allow me to change. Because mm. it wasn't, it, it couldn't come, there was no, there's no way to find it within. It was like, it was too big. It was, it was within. It was, well, uh, I had it all along. <laughs> yeah, no, that's not what I mean. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to differentiate. So I think people pay people a lot of money for this sort of thing. And a lot of the time it doesn't do anything because you actually have to have a spiritual experience. Yeah, okay. I had to have so, a spiritual experience that would allow me to manifest change in my life. Life. But but what I'm saying is that is that it's within uh, it's within but connecting to a larger thing. Yes. Yes. But so, so it does involve a short term denial of self, mm. like a mystery initiation or like any kind of shamanic initiation. I, I hate to say any kind because I don't know and that's problematic. But, you know, the idea of going to the underworld and coming back with gifts. Mm. But in order to come back, I had to, do, yeah, I had to like go into the darkness. Yeah. Yeah. And I had to go all the way. And that's one of the things that Odin really tricked me into doing was as a trickster God, but also as a patron of me, he urged me to go all in. And I went all in. The first act of magic I committed was I committed. I say it like a crime. <laughs> it is. The first like, Sorry. yeah, right, right. The first like working spell that I did was like for some to get some drugs from a drug dealer that owed me money huh. and uh it worked oh wow you know and that's really rare for the, the drug dealer to be like oh yeah i'm coming by to bring you something for free you know that's just not an experience that you have <laughs> <laughs> not in my situation because i was usually owing other people right <laughs> but see that's one of the beautiful things about now is that you know <laughs> I get to do things I didn't do before. Anyway, um, so 
yeah so odin drove me and and i had to live out my program all the way i had to live mm-hmm. out my what i was going to do all the way until i would had come to the realization that i need to do something different but i wasn't going to stop until i was done and so odin kind of pushed me in that direction and and he even is seen in myths as driving two armies to fight each other Mm. purposefully Mm -hmm. um, for some end. And, but to me, that meant that action, what was manifested as just like, we don't have time to dilly dally. You're going all in now. And we're just going to do this. And so eventually he, he told me now these things are no longer useful to you. Hmm. And um, oh, it took me a while to get what was really <laughs> happening there. Yeah, I just I don't know. It's it's interesting. It's like a disease of the of the will. I, I believe it it's a spiritual malady that manifests itself in all forms. Both it, it shows up in in your whole energy body. And your whole mind, and your whole heart, and your whole soul. So yeah, well, it's it's funny because the, the actually that shaman that I that I worked with that shaman person was like they're called spirits for a reason. Yeah, um, and um, it's actually sort of what you're saying is like it, it's like a hijacking of your will. Like your will is becomes very focused. Oh, yeah. it's just laser focus. Focus. It's just really good at getting drugs, dude. Drugs. Yeah. <laughs> and it's and it's like if you could if you can take that and just direct it anywhere else, it's like super potent. Right. And so that's why I think that that people who have had these experiences and who have recovered are such great, like so. If someone has no choice but to live their life on a spiritual basis, like I have no choice, really, it's not that's it's not really like that anymore. But there was a time when it was just like, you got to meditate or die, motherfucker. What are you going to do? Like, you got to pray every day or die. What are you going to do? And now I get to choose. But, you know, there was a time where, like, I had no choice but to do that. And so it almost put me through this rigorous discipline spiritually to where now it's like. Okay, I'm able to like give that away. Mm, yeah, you know. So I and, hesitate to call it a shaman or something, but it is that sort of function within our society. Yeah, no, it's it's um, it's an accidental initiation. If you if you believe in accidents, even which I don't know if I do. <laughs> <laughs> do, do well, well, I mean, I think 100 percent because. I know for me, always the the people that went through those sort of situations that were drug addicts or like alcoholics or whatever, they tend to be the when they come out of it, they tend to be the most interesting people. And it's again, it's it's a gnostic idea because you've it's it's traveling through the darkest part of reality. I mean, it's like. It, I don't know if it's exactly the same, but it's probably it's it's probably in the ballpark of like going through war in a sense. Like you're going through this really dark thing and coming out the other side of it. And um, 
Um, you know, it's like in the, in the Tao, the yin yang, right? What's the lightest part of the light? It's that dot in the dark, right? That's, that's the, and, and that's something you learn from painting is like, if you want something to look really bright, you surround it with darkness. So it's often, and I think that, I think what you're saying is, is totally true. I think the 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 shaman is going into the underworld going into the depths going into the darkness because that's where the brightest light is that's where it's condensed and and solidified because it's under the weight of all that darkness yeah the philosopher's stone is also found in filth yeah well it's the in the lotus that springs up from the muck it's all the same same stuff yeah um um Oh, I had something real quick. Hold on. What was it? Oh, come on back. <laughs> I don't know. Did it was it was about light and dark? Yeah, it was about that stuff for sure. It's mm-hmm. all good. Uh how did you get introduced to Odin? How did that happen? Okay, so I went actually have covered this on an episode that you should listen to. Okay, well just tell me the episode. Michael. Um, that it is the one with Michael Simon. It's called Ancestors, Jail Demons, and Flow. Oh, I was going to get to that. was the next one I was going to get to. Yeah, you definitely need to check that one out. Okay. Um, we don't have to, we don't have to the way, I'll, I'll give you a condensed version. It was I overdosed Ooh, okay. on something, probably fentanyl, because it was just like one hit of something. I took a hit of like heroin. Anyway. And so I fell out immediately. Mm. And when I came to my uh, wife at the time was like slapping me and pounding on my chest and like said, was like screaming and I was, had become blue and stuff. I was out. And while I was out, I found myself in a dark forest or maybe a twilight forest. And I was looking down over the ridge and in the trees, I saw an old man walking, and he had a wide-brimmed hat, and he had one eye when he looked at me, and he looked at me, and I woke up, mm. and I was screaming, Odin, Odin. And I was always into Norse mythology as a kid. I didn't really realize at that time or, or know that I had that lineage. I, it wasn't until later that I realized that that's actually an ancestral thing too, Mm. Um, which makes sense. But yeah, so ever since that happened and then it took me because, you know, like you said, singleness of mind, singleness of purpose. It took me years still to, for that to bear fruit. So I continued to, to do drugs. Like, I mean, finished the bag that I died from, you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh yeah, um, you know I, it. It, it reminds. There's two things that actually makes me think of. One was a dream that I had um, about my father. My my father died when I was 18, um, and like, which is, and I was very close with him. So so it was this. It's it was this fundamentally tragic event. Really like. Um, it gave me a whole other context of reality. 
because when someone that important to you dies, there's a reality to that that like affects everything. Like you get this real sense of like everything you begin as like this will end at some point, you know. Um, actually, I don't know if I should pursue this or not. It, it, it feels tangential to what you're saying. No, go ahead. Um, but I think it was because you were talking about it was almost like a dream state where you were in a woods with this old man that that's walking. And what's funny is that like I had one that was definitely an encounter with death, and it was. Um, it was in a dream that I had much later in life, a long time after my father died. And in it was, um, it was me um, trying to protect my father from this old man who was a hunter. And he was this old man in like, like overall khakis and like a red and black checkered shirt with a hunting rifle. And I knew he was trying to kill my dad. And like the whole, the whole dream was me, like trying to keep my dad away from this guy. And, um, at some point I like pulled out this, this gun and turned around to shoot him. And it was a, it ended up being a Derringer. Like I had this tiny gun and shot mm-hmm. and missed. And then like my father continued on and eventually like I abandoned trying to protect him from, from this, this old man. Um, and it kind of, it kind of ventured off into this other like part which also sort of referenced to like later parts of my life after my father died but it was it's just it's just sort of fascinating because i was like that was definitely death as a as a entity and it, it sort of it took this quality it was funny that it took all this quality of this hunter that's this really old. interesting because have you ever um listened to the podcast strange familiars Oh, uh, bits and pieces. They yes. talk about people have an apparition of a flannel wearing man that appears in the same, like in sleep paralysis situations. And what? Bed- no way. Yeah. Bedside apparitions. Yeah. That's really compelling. What the fuck? Really? Okay. Yeah. You can search flannel man and you'll find it if you search their stuff because they've, oh. they've done a lot on it. Oh shit! I'll, I'll, oh my god! Okay, I'll definitely have to look at that. And then it also, of course, makes me think of just because of the Odin stuff, the Wild Hunt. Yeah, which yeah, you know, which is it's a which is about of, it's a parade of the Fey and the dead yeah. that Odin leads across uh, the sky. Try and then he pulls pulls un- unwary or uh, unthinking people into it, and like you end up joining him forever. Uh, it was also funny what you were saying about like Odin would like set two armies against each other. Right. And um, it made me think about um, how there's this thing with like the angels and the sort of awful things they've, they've visited upon the earth. And it was, and I had this really, and this is, this is something I, I, there was a point where I, like, before I even got into this stuff where I sort of logiced my way to like, I think, I think it was almost like an animism where, where I was doing, I had this thought that I was like, I've met some really intelligent people and I feel like I'm fairly smart, but they're definitely, there's a certain point where like, I don't understand them. 
right? Yeah. I don't under I don't understand them. And then the way they act is so strange. And I'm like, but on the scale of intelligence, we're not that far apart, me and this guy, or me and this woman, whatever, me and this person. So what if you had something that was 10 times or 100 times more intelligent than that? And, and I started to extrapolate that. And I was like, would you even know that you were encountering something that was hyper-intelligent? Because it, was, it would be acting in such a way that you would not even understand what it was doing. And, um, and like, I was like, it'd basically be the weather. Like the weather could be, the weather could have an intention and be wanting to do something. And you're just too stupid to understand what it is. And, um, and so that, that kind of, that's the, that's just to explain this point about like the angels. And it's like, if you, if you were that far, so many dimensions, you're viewing things from so many dimensions above and say, you can see the breadth of time. And you can see where things are going. What is your morality like at that point? What, what do your decisions look like? What, what, things would seem, what things would seem horrible to an ant that is totally fine to a scientist observing that ant? Um, and yeah, I, I don't know. I guess that's Yeah, that brings us back to Lovecraft. Yeah. And I, and I guess it's also a very complicated way of saying like... Uh, what what's the what's the old christian thing do you you do not know god's will or something or oh, what is yeah, the thing right. like yeah uh, uh i forget what it is his will yeah, is often described as unknowable and comprehensible yeah, yes yes who are we to comprehend what's in a mysterious way ways. ways that's that's the one i'm trying to think of but yes that's also very lovecraftian like yeah just these and, totally alien amoral i mean they're beyond any concept of it we are but, the ants. But, we are the ants that David Lynch freezes in boxing. <laughs> I actually had a dream once that David Lynch was traveling through realities, gathering the pieces of this machine from other David Lynches. <laughs> so, like, imagine like Jet Li's the one, but with David Lynch, kind of, and he doesn't kill him; he gets something from him. But man, did I peek into? behind the curtain on that one i don't know i i i think i think you i think what you just said is just what's actually happening i think that's what lynch is doing is yeah. gathering, <laughs> gathering gathering all the bits of hyper lynch he's putting hyper lynch together. <laughs> yes i love the uh, idea of mm. uh, uh, hyper lynch yes <laughs> <laughs> like some some um talos style steampunk lynch like a giant <laughs> god robot i mean it's funny this feels like this this feels like something alan moore would write because his uh, and and it, actually i don't know if you read providence have you ever did you read providence? See, I, I i need to i okay, was just listening to some um i think i was just listening to the episode of runesoup about it. it it's um it's one of my favorite things he's done it's really amazing um, and it really takes it into it takes Lovecraft into these really like interesting places. Uh, but it's funny because one of the one of the things that happens is that like um, his protagonists are uh, to his protagonists meet on the fourth dimension, and they're like these like accordion people, right? Because they're they're like they're you know it's them as the as the 
you know, the hyper them, the thing through time. So it totally feels like it, that would be the Alan Moore Lovecraft story. It would have hyper lynch in it, which is just this like worm tunneling through reality. Have you read um, The Voice from the Fire? A voice no, the fire? no, Man. I've always wanted to. I read the first like chapter of it in jail and it's wild it's one of those things so the first chapter of it is from the point of view of um like a mentally challenged person in like ancient england i don't know like <laughs> like before romans i'm not sure exactly when but the descriptions that he uses and the way of thinking that he brings through this person, through this character. It's like the way he describes things. It's just, you've never heard him describe this way before. Mm. It's really cool. I didn't get to read the whole book. Um, thankfully, because I got out when I was reading it. <laughs> so I can't be mad about it. I'll find it again. But um. Yeah, just the way that so it's like he's not only taking the point of view of someone that's in a completely different time, but someone that doesn't see or maybe perceive the world in the same way that the rest of us do. So it's like just layers and layers of it's beautiful poetry, though, but it's abstract mm -hmm. and, and it's sometimes brutally direct and uh, it's hard to describe, actually. And it's rare to find something like that in writing, right? Because. It's like, oh, this is English, but this is like this character is alive right here, and I don't <laughs> understand them. Mm, and I have yeah. to kind of like learn them, like learning a language or something. Which, yeah, you, it has to, it literally alters your your perception and your reality. Yeah, that's it's fascinating. Cool. There, um, I just, um, you know, he's got this this like writer's course on the BBC. Um, I haven't finished it yet, but I'm about halfway through. And there's a point in there where he talks about um, writing from a perspective of um, it's an angel, but it's, it's literally this angel that's on top of this. It's a stone angel on top of a building somewhere. And I forget where he lives, but I forget the town in England because the the story's set there. It's the, it's the novel that's uh, what is the giant tome that came after uh has like one word name i, I oh god I, I can't remember the name of it um but it's but it's it's a part in that book and he's writing it from a multi-dimensional entity that can see like into and out of and around time and he talked about like while he was writing this he had to think like this right and he talked about how like it sort of fucked him up for like a month afterwards. Like he couldn't really communicate with people because he had, he had warped his way of thinking so much. That's so cool. <laughs> it's like the, that experiment where they wear the glasses that are upside down and then eventually they're the, the brain flips it. Yeah. Yes. But like that with just your like, total dimensionality have you, have you ever done the thing where you where you figure out the blind spot in your eye no actually there's two cool things you can do with your eye um i forget exactly how to do this but there's a way that like if you hold your hand out with like the top tip of your thumb 
and you close one eye there's a and you sort of adjust it there's a point where the tip of your thumb will disappear um and that's literally the place in the back of your eye where the optic nerve is and it's uh and so literally what's happening second to second well millisecond to millisecond is your brain is filling in that gap it's like taking all the information around it like dino dna yeah it's like it's like pacing over it but here's the other weird one about your eye is your eye actually contains uh basically a museum of the entire history of optic evolution and it and because basically how the eye has evolved is it's it's the most primitive thing and the next step evolves and it kind of pushes the more primitive thing out and then out and out out so basically if you take your hand and you're waving it and you're you put it behind your head and you start to move it there's a certain point where you can see the motion and when you're seeing the motion that's what earliest vision was like all motion and there's a certain point if you slowly go it you can start to see kind of a gray shape and eventually the 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 form will start to come into place and then at the very end you'll get color which is like right in front of your eyes your vision so so basically your 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 eye contains the entire history of its development within itself that's really cool <laughs> It also has me thinking about the ancestors and and how it's not just just a museum, but it's like it was passed down to you from those earlier forms. I mean, those are your ancestors, right there. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, um, um, there, I mean, there's a guy that does. Um, um, oh God, what is his name? Uh Oh shit, I can't remember his name. I'll have to look him up. He's he's a guy that's all about like um he teaches like these like movement classes, like as his whole thing. And so he teaches it from like an ancestral perspective. Because your entire skeletal system contains like we could like our body is built out of all its past forms. Like like our spine is basically the same as what a fish would have. And then you you add the rib cage and the pelvis, and that's like being a uh, that's like being a lizard. And then and, you know, and all the different components are just different steps in the evolution. And and in fact, what's also what's also fascinating is basically like our embryonic development is the same as like the evolutionary process. You go from a single cell organism all the way to a complex mammal, but you do all these like amphibious stages and reptilian stages in between the single cell all the way to the the full. The full baby um yeah and and so that's some hermet hermeticism right there so as <laughs> above so below right below. yeah so so basically you're you're contained you contain all these like past elements of yourself and and i mean even the um like basically the organs and and um the flesh and everything that's almost like being a single cell organism where you're just literally almost like a sack of liquid um in fact, there was a lady that um, that was her whole thing is she, she talked about um, how we were basically water walking on land. Yeah, that's really cool. Uh, yeah. And it, it really, if you really think about it, it's like, oh, uh, it, 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 it's, it's influenced my, my uh, martial arts training too, because um, there's this thing 
like I, I train a, a Chinese internal martial art, which is, that's all, that's a whole discussion about what that even means, but what, but it's very weird. And it's a lot of like, you invert a lot of your thinking. And one of the, one of the big ones is, is like the way we typically think about say, say our bodies and like the scout, like how it's built, we think of a skeleton and then we think of that as the foundation. And then you add components and hang them off of it. Like, a, like building a building, like you, the skeleton is a scaffold and you just hang this up all the time. But really how we work is it's, it's like a soft, organic liquid sack with this rigid thing inside of it. And the, and the, and the rigid thing is there for the soft thing to pull against and give it form but it's but it's not that it hangs off the the structure it's more like the the structure is suspended inside the soft liquid thing and like yeah. when you when you really start to play with that it gets really strange <laughs> yeah i love no i love stuff like that i love that whole new way of looking at something um i recently had so i've been getting like Kind of ancestors talking to me a little bit while I'm running. Mm. You know when you get that like good runners high. I've been a fat kid most of my life, so no. <laughs> well, it's just like anything else, right? So I'm not. I haven't been big into it before either, but I'm starting to get into it. And there's there's a euphoria that comes just like with anything, and I get you know get kind of tranced out. But I since it's an exercise of the body. I've been calling in my ancestors to do healing and to just enjoy it with me. Um, and so I'll just kind of get those transmissions sometimes when I'm running or, or when I call it in, it's usually going to happen. You know, um, that would make, that would make sense. Cause it's, I would imagine it's, it's a form of trance state. Absolutely. Yeah, it is. It yeah. is that. And so I'll call them in and I'll say, you know, as, as the blood is flowing through my veins and that's leading to me, it's cool that you say that because one of the things that came through was the heart is a drum. Mm. There's the whole, the way that mainstream science sees it now or materialism or whatever you want to call it is, as they call it a pump. Yeah. But no, they, they wanted me to know that the heart is a drum. And that drum beat has carried on all the way back, and you're carrying it on still. That mm. Mm, yes. Okay. Yeah. That's awesome. There, there was a, there's a, an anatomist that that kind of clued me in onto this, which is, which is also really cool, which you might like. Which is okay. So, the way we think of anatomy is, is. Uh, it's very materialistic and, and Western, you breaking things down. But the reality is that like, that's only, we've just assigned words to different parts. Right. 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 So if you really think about it, so yeah, the heart is at the center of this stuff and it's the center of the circulatory system. But what is the difference between those two things? Right. There isn't one. It's a, it's a continuity. And if you, when you think about that and realize that, and then you look at what the, the heart and its connection to all of those, the blood, the arteries, the veins, the capillaries, it goes out through your entire body. So your entire body is a heart. Yeah. And, and 
it is not this single separate thing that is contained within yourself. It is literally the entirety of you. That's something so arconic to me about materialism and about modern the modern way of viewing the body is that it just vivisects everything. Like it's just obsessed with vivisecting everything, breaking it down. Yeah, while it's alive, and then saying, "Oh, how does that work?" It's just like trying to figure out how a I don't know. It, it's a really backwards way of, of trying to get at something that's alive by pulling yeah. it into pieces and pieces killing it, basically. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a whole new batch of, of anatomical studies that is, that is all about fascia. And that's only happened in the last, like, I think, 10 to 20 years, maybe. And it's all because when they would dissect thing, dissect human bodies, they were like, we don't know what this stuff is. And they would just throw it away. So they didn't think it did anything. Right. It was just, oh, that's just like the, the insulation in your car or something. Or yeah, exactly. It's like, it's like they have no, it's the same thing where like, there's like junk DNA and it's like, uh, I don't know about that. Yeah. Doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure that probably has a purpose. Um, that stuff. Um, yeah. What's fringe you to get into running? Um, just, was this something you did before or is it like a totally new thing? No, it's pretty. I mean, I've, I've been off and on, but most of the time of my life has been spent not running, you know, a great, great deal. Um, <gasps> just, I don't know. Um, just been working out lately and I've been pretty into that and I ritualize it quite a bit. I, I do a lot of, um, like energy work in between sets and a lot of visualization while I'm lifting the weights of the, the light going to the spots that may be sore or something. Mm-hmm. And I just, I want to see if it gives me better results. Well, you know, it's funny. All the, all the body bodybuilders, talk, the bodybuilders will talk about like, the mind muscle connection. It's it, that's magic. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually, magic. actually, uh, I, an old philosophy friend of, of mine, we were, we were like literally like bodybuilding is the most fundamental fucking form of magic because it's it literally like, yeah, you put your will to something and you see it transform. Change in accordance with will. Will, yeah, exactly. Right. It's the most direct application. <laughs> and there have been studies done that that um that show that people get better results when they visualize muscles growing. Oh, really? muscle group, muscle group, uh, that makes sense. 14%. That makes sense. And the 14%, it's that, it's that high? Damn. Yeah, 14% difference. Wow. I got to get back into doing kettlebells. I uh, completely neglected. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've never done those. <laughs> I used to love them. I got, uh, I got pretty, I was, I was at a point where I was doing 272 pounds, uh, pressing them overhead and squatting them and everything. Nice. But then I then I tweaked my back and and it all fell yeah. fell apart. That does and, that that can happen. <laughs> no, I was I was going to say that like uh, I I've always hated running, but I am very curious about it now. Yeah, it's and, it's different now. It used to be the whole time it was like just get me the fuck out of here. Yeah, like I hate this. But I don't know. Well, I mean, I've been doing a lot more breath work, and uh, I do a lot of I do a lot of Reiki visualization, and 
and I would say even ancestor work too, like all that stuff has caused me to take a lot more importance for my body. Yeah. You know? And like, if I'm going to, if I'm going to work in one aspect of my life, I'm going to try to work in all of them. Positive changes just keep happening. The more I do magic, the more I meditate, the more I do breath work, the more I do energy work. It, it just seems to have a, a totally cumulative positive effect, effect on my life. Effect. Yeah, I, I sort of, um, I mean, the, the martial, arts I, martial arts I studied is, is fairly inter, interwoven with esoteric concepts, although they're not as forward about them. Um, but it is really, the thing I realized like at this point in my life was like, I don't think I was really living in my body. I was sort of, I was sort of squished up into my head. And then there was this sort of this fuzzy thing that existed below my neck. that was there that my head was attached to. And, um, this process has really made me like, and this was, this was sort of another Another thing that sort of both emerged out of, out of like the, the Taoist martial arts stuff, but also like having done the angel walk, which I just finished uh, not a couple of weeks ago. Um, oh yeah. That could be a whole episode too. I bet. But, uh, yeah. I actually, it's, I, I don't, should we even, I guess I should give a little preface to what that is. Um, so there was a, um, because I'm a Rinsu member, there's a, there was a class structure where we were, one of the projects was to contact the 72 angels of the, I think they're called the Shim Shafaroth. I can't remember the actual the name. Shem Hemfresh? Shim, that's it. Yes. Yeah. Um, I'm always just going to toss them to you whenever I that's need to. That's cool. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> you set them up, I'll knock them down. <laughs> that's perfect. Um, and and they're, they're basically, it's almost like there's one for every five degrees of the rotation of the earth. So you basically over three, over a full year, you cover the entire sky, I guess, more or less. Um, and so one of the things I, I got out of that, um, uh, and it was combined with the Taoist practice, because there's this thing in, in Taoist alchemy where they talk about the, you create the golden embryo, which is like this little literal golden embryo that like forms in your belly at a certain point, like, I don't know what the hell that actually is and like what that, because almost all that stuff is just sort of a metaphor. But, but the thing it did make me realize is that um, we never stop being born. Yes, we're born from our mothers, but every day is us more like if we do it right, is us more fully incarnating into this reality. And we keep doing that until the very day of our death. And part of the process is. And that's something that you realize when you really start to like connect with your body is that most of us don't fully incarnate here. We're not fully born into this reality. Maybe, maybe that's mostly just like a, an error of Western materialist process, but it's something that I've come to come to think is, is definitely true. Is that, is that some, is that part of what we're doing magic in the magic and the occult is being more and more and further born into this reality. And, um, and you do that through the body. And I think, I think if we want to talk about arconic things, that's another one is that is the, is divorcing us from that 
physical presence of our own bodies. It's a decapitation. Yes. Yes. It's a, it is a, yeah. And, but it's in a, in almost the worst way, (laughs) (laughs) you know, because it's divorcing you from that. And then there's all these sort of forced separations or they seem to be forced. I don't know how it could all happen on accident where you're disconnected from your bot. Like I'm disconnected from my body. I'm disconnected from the reality of the dead and of my ancestors. I'm disconnected from spirit itself. What I mean, can that just be like, whoops, you know, or is there something going on? That's a concerted effort against those things. To me, yeah. it just seems like there has to be something. And even well, if it's, go ahead. Well, I mean, and, and then that gets back to that, that, that idea of like, if you're a hyper entity, what is your morality? And what if like, you know, it, it's like the um, pine cones will not produce seed unless there's a fire. Yeah. And also it, it brings back to what you said about the black iron prison. It can become the palm tree garden. Yes. It's for me to make Turn it into that. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. To, to, to shuck off the prison. Yeah. Cause, cause that's really what jail was like. Is it, it's whatever you make it. It was like a weird, the weirdest thing was it's just a microcosm of to me, it's a been a microcosm of my experience of living in this society was jail. Mm. It's and it's whatever you make it. It can be a prison or it can be a monastery mm-hmm. or it can just be another place from which you trudge into this vast, uncollapsible world of spirit. Like it doesn't, you know, I have a connection to that. Yeah, you can put me in a box, but it ain't going to do anything. You know what I mean? It's only because, yeah, because <laughs> even in that box is infinity. Yeah. It's right here. Yeah. And every little tiny piece of reality is just the, the infinite wholeness of all of it. I mean, in that sense, it is a hologram, right? Yeah. The, the each, fractalization. Yes. Yes. Uh, one of the, one of the journeys I, I was on when I was doing, doing the like plant medicine things, I forget what the hell the thing is they gave they gave me. It was like it was some crazy African root. They had shit I had never heard of. Uh, and the and the way they worked is that they would you would talk to the facilitator who was the shaman. They called him a facilitator though. And you talk about what you want, and then depending on how long they were there, you were with them. They knew what your process was, and they would just pick a pill and give it to you. And the pills had like letter names. Or they were called, you know, they would be called like S, D, K, whatever. And then after the fact, they might tell you what was contained in the pill. And the whole thing, it's like, it's weird. But then you realize the, the thing is, is that all it's really trying to do is make you have the experience and not think and go into it with preconceptions. That was the whole, that was the whole thinking behind it. So the stuff I did, I don't even know what the fuck it was. It, like via conga root or something. I, I, I've I've saw it on Aowind once, and I've never been able to find it again. But it part of it was like every step I took, I felt myself break into 
this spiraling fractal pattern. Like in, in every moment and every second was another one of those. And it was this thing that was like, oh, yeah, it's exactly what you're saying. Every moment is this, is this infinite potential, one to the next, to the next, to the next. Um, and so it really opened up this idea, like the possibility of like, you really could jump into anything. And, and like, I think that's part of what magic is, is like navigating that fractalization. And like calling what it is you want out of that towards you. Um, like you said, pure potentiality at one point, I think earlier in the conversation. Station, yeah. The pure potentiality. Reality, yeah. The idea of zero points. Yeah. That, that, that every moment contains the possible, like infinite possibility, infinite power. Um, I mean, easier said than done, but. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a process that I I more often call just remembering who I am. Yeah, you and know? it's funny you have to you have to. That's like you always have to remind yourself. Yeah, <laughs> and sometimes it's harder than others, you know. Yeah, how my good it's, days and my bad days. <laughs> <laughs> I've had a lot of bad days in the last couple of years. I gotta tell you. Yeah, it's been tough. Yeah, it's not. This has not been easy. Although what's crazy is that is that I think I probably have done more magic in these last two years than I ever have in my entire life. Yeah, and I've done more praying too. Same, yeah. And I've done more. I really everything. I mean, I I really do see like, no matter what arconic forces or what darkness wells up, I really do think that there's like an equal and opposite reaction of to to put it in such a mechanistic sense, but for every upwelling of of darkness and pain and death and despair, there's an upwelling of prayer and, and magic and, and yeah, to yes. stand against that. Yeah. Like it, we don't, we aren't left alone. Yeah. To, to no matter how hard that. it seems. Yes. Right. And it's funny because, because I'm, what I'm realizing is that also like much like you were talking about jail and it's really what you make out of it given that these last two years have, have been so shuttered and imprisoning for just about everybody, it really had, it really was like in some senses, like a monastic retreat. Yes. Um, which is about the best spin I put on it. I mean, it was still right. shitty. Well, well what am I going to do with it? What am I going to yeah. do with it though? Like I, I don't have the choice of going through the experience. The only thing I do have the choice of is what I'm going to do with it. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And, um, yeah. And, and actually that we touched on earlier, that first angel summoning that we're talking about, like if I hadn't jumped in on that group when they were summoning the Archangel Michael, I don't know that I would be talking to you right now. Right. <laughs> And there's a, there's a lot, of, oh, I can think of a lot of things like that in my life, really looking back, you know, this podcast exists because my car got rear-ended and totaled and my car was my job, you know, so I used the insurance money that I got from that to get this van and this podcast gear. And it just, it just, 
it's like a pool ball hitting me in a totally different direction. Direction closer to what you want to be doing anyway. But yeah, but yeah, exactly. But you know, I used to be blown around by that chaos, but this engaging with this stuff gives me a way to to hitch a ride on the chaos instead of being blown hither and thither. Well, well, you know, it's it's funny. I think there's also there's also a benefit of that happens with age, where you you realize that often sometimes those really terrible things are for the better. Yeah. Are they all, they often will lead to there. There's even no matter what is, what is dark there, there is, there's like, I'll go back to this. Like, even though I lost my father at a very young age um, and it made me, it was incredibly painful. The flip side of that is in which actually I I'm kind of okay saying this now, there is a freedom to that because I don't have to meet his expectation. I'm not burdened by that anymore. Like the, the possible restrictions that my, that posit, that my father possibly could have put on me are no longer there. So that is the, it's, it's not great. I'd still rather have my father, but that is, that is a component of that. There are things there are things that the dead can do for us that the living cannot. That's true. That's true as well. Yes. That's I mean, that's just one way of looking at it. Right. And so you said it comes with age. It comes with perspective. Yeah. Just a different angle of looking at it. Um, thank you for sharing that. That's really, (laughs) no problem. No problem. Yeah. Um, I, I try, I try to just, um, I actually, and this is, I don't, I don't, they say this is like a cancerian trait of like not enjoying bullshit talk and wanting to get deep. And I think, I think I definitely, that's my thing. I don't, it's like, I can't just talk about the weather. Like I, I have can't to. either. It always has to get, it gets cosmic real fast. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah, <laughs> that's that Lovecraftian thing. Man. I gotta go to the very edges. The pleroma. That's yeah, love it. Yeah, but the, if you think about it, the pleroma is just even kind of a Giger style. Like everything is just one, all swirling together. It's like the last scene of Society, where everyone's just like <laughs> asses and arms and stuff. <laughs> Dude, I love that you brought up the movie Society. Dude, I think about it in a Gnostic lens all the time. <laughs> like the, the, trying to get back to the oneness of source is like, okay. You know. Oh, but, that reminds me. That that's <laughs> another one that's that's if we expand out of the top three horror monster movies and we get a little from beyond. I was gonna ask you about from beyond earlier, too. <laughs> from beyond is the thing I forgot earlier. <laughs> Remember when I didn't have it come back? Yes, I was going to ask you, have you seen From Beyond? I love that movie. It's one of my favorites. And we rented it as kids. And like, I was, it's funny because I was actually kind of pissed because I was the kid that was like, I was mad because it wasn't a lot like the story. Uh huh. And so I didn't get to enjoy it, but I rewatched it again pretty recently. And damn, if it's not one of my favorite movies, it's fucking amazing. It's so good. It's, it's it, the guy in that that just like is continually 
having these sort of apotheoses, but is also becoming like just completely degenerating. Like he's falling apart and has all these weird like eye stalks coming out of his forehead. And like, but he, but he continues to know more every time he knows more, but he just becomes a monster by the end. I love that. And then literally, he's a helpful monster, you know. He's yeah, yeah. He he protects he protects the the uh, the, the woman, which is which is crazy because at the end of it, she's literally fucking nuts. Like, oh yeah, everyone yeah. is by the end of it. It's, great. <laughs> it's just that great trope of like um, this the the scientist that originally builds the machine. I've always loved this trope. It's you know this Frankenstein Faust, whatever. But he's you know it's like oh my god, turn off the machine turn off the machine. Something's gone horribly wrong. And he just goes, no, I need to see more, <laughs> you know, like that. That's a mood, right? Uh, there was a, my, there was a thing that my, cause I in college, I introduced, I introduced my friends to that movie. I got them all together and I made yeah. them watch it. Cause it, cause it, it used to pop up on like HBO or something. It and reanimator. That's another fucking great one. Uh, uh, the same actor too, uh, Jeffrey Combs. Yeah, yeah. Who, who's like I love him. He's really good. It, 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 it's funny because that sort of movie doesn't really exist anymore. That sort of actor almost doesn't even exist anymore. Does those very specific character actors like yes. yeah? Like I like a weird guy. Where are the, are the weird people? Everyone has to be beautiful. There is like a they like are they all put, beautiful, beautiful. Did they put, beautiful? Did they, put, did they put them in the water? Why are these people? And they, and that's the thing. As someone as someone who studies art and has drawn people forever, I'm like, you know, there's a certain level of pretty where it's just boring. Yes, and that's what everyone is now. The world without sin. And yeah, like no one is like unique. Um. One of the great, like, have you ever seen? Yeah, like, where's Harry? Like, where are the Harry Dean Stantons? Yeah, or even like, even like someone like fucking like Charles Bronson, right? Who would look like that now? Right. (laughs) Um. Yeah, Once Upon a Time in the West. I don't know if you've ever seen that. I love that movie. Yeah, the 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 very beginning is like all these close-ups of these really like. Specific people, yeah, and they're, and they're just like weathered and shit and shit. And it, it's funny, like studying, um, studying figurative art and having and like drawing people. There's a thing that that, and I, I, I for what I understand, it used to be more commonly taught. Like they would teach like drawing classes, like portrait classes and stuff to everybody, and. That could be a, that could be a whole subject in itself. The, the um the the things that are revealed through that process, because it is this very meditative. The study of like art and light gets real deep and real weird, but there is a thing that happens when you draw and paint people who would not. We're just normal people who are not like done up. They're not you start to real it, it really does you start to realize the beauty of everybody if you spit because you, you really spend enough time like looking at the details and like how little things echo across their faces and like and then and oftentimes it's like 
if I had to draw like one of these, like, I don't know, CW TV people, this is boring. But if you give me like some like old janitor or something, that's it's like done manual labor for like 50 years, like, and their face has something, yeah, there's something, some, some grit. grit. Yeah. There's something, there's like a deep beauty to that. That's like, and I mean, beauty. Not, not, it's not like rugged or handsome. I mean, it's beautiful. There's something beautiful about that, that, that is like, that, um, is sort of missed when you average it out to this, like this one's single weird chiseled standard that, yeah, that's um, like probably just decided by an algorithm. <laughs> yeah, probably at this point. <laughs> like, get that good AI face we saw. Have you seen that? That's, um, the site this face does not exist oh yeah i've looked at that it's an interesting thing to think because um they say you can't i know who who knows right but like Hmm. have you ever heard that you can't dream a face that you haven't seen no i haven't heard that that's interesting yeah i've heard that before so i wonder what's happening when you come up with faces that haven't existed before I, you know, I wonder about that because I've, I've made up faces and heads and stuff and like, I'm, I'm like, Hmm, I don't, I don't know how true that is. I, I don't think it's true. I, that sounds like a pretty mechanistic view of it. I would think. I mean, there, there's to a, some there's extent, a, everything is, is made of components of, components of everything, everything else. else. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a, I remember, did you ever listen to radio lab? Yeah. They had a, they had a, they had like the first season or so that was fantastic. And then that just sort of drifted off into like, I don't know what now. I actually um, may have even heard that from Radio Lab. For I wouldn't now. be, I wouldn't be surprised. It sounds like a Radio Lab thing. Lab thing. It? Yeah. It, it, well, I remember they, they had an episode about dreams and they, they were like, dreams are just your brain uh, running scenarios to get better. And I'm like, no, they're not. Yeah, it's the worst. I, I was like, as soon as I heard that, I'm like, you guys are full of shit. You don't know what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I couldn't listen to it anymore. It's one of those ones I loved when I was like, it's like, okay, so I guess you got to try to put some heart into it somehow, but it's just not going in the right direction, right? Like the intentions are there maybe, but it's just like, the most boring explanation is the truest like <laughs> Occam's dumb razor where like in reality to like in my experience the most uninteresting question is by that virtue not right <clears throat> boring and therefore wrong you know that's um, a maxim of of the Elder Scrolls lore do you ever play those video games? I've never played them, no. So they have a really cool open source lore. It kind of took place over a lot, a lot of role-playing, both in person and um, on chat rooms and stuff and message boards. So, so, the, so the, the gaming community like kind of co-created the world? The developers co- co-created the world with the community, kind of. Oh, yeah. okay. Oh, so that sort of explains why it's so popular. Yeah. And well, okay. it's also, it's one of those things. It's like, it's getting worse as it moves farther away from that, where there's mm-hmm. like, once you have a lore master, like it starts to be like, fuck it. I don't, I don't care anymore. 
Um, <laughs> but so this was like, it was sort of like a chaos magic kind of deal. And they had this idea where it's like, whatever we come up with, like the bo- like the boring one, if it's boring, it's wrong. Hmm. We just go with, they would just go with the most interesting version of things and all these, it was kind of generated through writing these in universe books and, you know, fragments that were from unreliable narrators in this world. This is a really cool way to build a world, in my opinion. <laughs> well, it's, it actually, so we know it's funny is that, that in a certain sense, that always happens. It's just that how much, how much say does the community that are the fans have in it? Yeah. Because I guarantee you, um, Star Wars isn't popular. Wasn't popular. I, I don't. I. I think it's a thing that should be dragged out and shot at this point. I think. I think it needs to go, and so something else can take its place. But um, yeah, um, it was popular because the world was felt real enough that I think other people could feel like they could inhabit it. Yeah. And so in a sense, it's the same with, with Lord of the Rings. Like the world is, is vivid enough that people feel like they can be there and they, they can participate in it. Even if they're not helping write it, there's a part of it that exists in them. So they write it for themselves. And when you start to lose that, it's no longer quite so habitable. I don't know. Yeah. Which is interesting too, considering what you were saying earlier about how a lot of people don't fully inhabit their bodies yeah the world that we're in right (laughs) it's like we've jumped the shark (laughs) as a reality that this timeline has jumped the shark (laughs) no i don't know that may be a tenuous connection at best but i thought i'd try to make it (laughs) what what do you what do you think was the the shark jumping moment oh lord i don't know if there you can uh, is that a cop-out no. What do you think? <laughs> I don't know. It's probably something as stupid as when they canceled Seinfeld or some shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. Things just keep getting weirder and weirder. It's almost like it just continues to unfold. It's a con- it's a continuously unfolding shark jumping. Yeah. I, but maybe uh, we need to. You know what I mean? Maybe that's the shark we need to jump over. I I definitely think that that whatever has been going on for the last 100 200 300 years is definitely starting to collapse and grind to a halt that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, um, and I think whatever comes next we have to build together and we don't like I don't think that we can even know what it is. And anyone that tells me what it is 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 immediately suspect to me. Anyone that tells me what this new world is supposed to look like, you know, it's something that we have to, we have to all create together. Yeah. And, and well, I mean, if you knew what it was, it would, that the joys and the discovery of it and the creation of that, you know, which is why when the lore gets draconian, it gets boring (laughs) when you can't play around in the world anymore, just to leap back over to that. you know, it's funny. I, um, and it's only recently, like I've had this weird, um, fascination with like revolutionary and earlier era Americas. Cause it was like, 
it was basically a bunch of the whole country was a bunch of fucking criminals more or less. Right. <laughs> that, that, that I'm in a debtor's prison. Colin. Yeah. <laughs> and they basically just said, uh, Hey, fuck you King. We're going to, we're going to make our own thing. And <sighs> I'm really interested in the pirates for the same reason. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there, they always fascinate. There was a, there's an interesting book. Um, that's all about like these anarchist pirate pirate utopias, which were there were cities of, uh, along the like Barbary Coast, I think. Yeah, like uh, uh, oh, really? Yeah, I think it was the Barbary. Or am I thinking of that right? Yeah, no, that makes sense. That's cool, though. I just wasn't where I expected them to be. Uh, am I the Barbary Coast is like around? Where am I? Th- no, where am I thinking? This is, it's in, it's sort of like, there's, it's sort of around the area of like where uh, Morocco and stuff is. Okay. Yeah. I think you're right. I think no, that's not where I expected. That's cool. Continue. Yeah. Okay. So, so, um, and they created these like uh, little city states. There was, it was all run in piracy and they, and they formed their own governments and all this other crazy shit. They did it in the Caribbean too. Yeah, actually, actually, have you? Uh, what the hell is the name? Black Sails. Have you ever watched that? Yeah, that's really good. Uh, uh, I my, love that. That show is amazing. Yeah, I I like it a lot. I thought that was a sleeper hit. Like I, I didn't hear about it a lot, but I was like, okay, I'll check it out. And you know, pirates got lame to me for a while, but when they when I started to learn about what it was really the going on there, it's a lot cooler. It's a lot like, you know, going up against the empire. Oh, it's totally that. And it's totally, um, it's totally this thing where like your ship is your, it's your, it's your country. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it does have that. There's some, some sci-fi that has that feel to it too. Right. Like the ship being, the crew, its the, own, its own character. It's, yeah, its own world to itself and everything. Yeah, and I think it, it seems like that's probably where things are heading. Like, uh, there's still going to be the maybe the centralized authority, but I think it's going to increasingly like it's going to. De- I don't know. I personally feel it's going to be so much more about like what is your personal community and like who's directly around you and like. I don't know. It feels like that's where it's heading. I hope so. Yeah, I'm. I'm actually kind of hopeful for that too. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. (laughs) (laughs) Getting there might be weird. I mean, you basically have you have your own little pirate ship. You have your van. Yeah, that's what the dream is, right? (laughs) This van is cool because you can actually work on the engine from the front seat. The engine oh. is in the center console. Like you can take off the doghouse and it's in there. So I've driven down the road with my engine exposed. Oh my God. Really? Yeah. Holy, it's that's cool some Mad too, Max shit. That's yeah, awesome. <laughs> yeah, man. Exactly. That's what it made me think of is Mad Max. I'm a huge Mad Max fan. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Fury Road 100,000%. so good. And he does that it's too, a- where he is really good with language to where he can make a slang a slang culture 
where the slang are so believable and then he feeds in like pop culture into it too it's so beautiful that movie is like incredible and the fact that it was one of those guys revisiting like this thing they made when they were younger which is mostly failed but he came back at it and it was incredible but I used to watch Road Warrior every night to put myself to sleep. That was like my lullaby, dude. I would watch <laughs> every night. I would eat. I would eat cans of um, like beefaroni and ravioli and pretend <laughs> to be Mad Max. Uh, so sometimes I wonder if we like bring ourselves into these timelines because we're gonna say, I don't know. It's a good question. Yeah, you know? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, how close is your van to the Interceptor? Oh, it's not close to the interceptor. It doesn't really sprint up a hill now. <laughs> she's, I think she, you have goes, some... she goes easy, you know what I mean? But she's a cruiser. How, how old of a van is it? It's the same year as me, 1986. Okay. And it's got a slant six engine in it, which is virtually immortal. Like you'll have to rebuild it at some point, but it, it'll keep going. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. It's very simple. I don't know anything about cars and I can easily earn, learn what's going on in it. It's got a carburetor. And so you can just kind of like stick your hand in it while it's running and like figure out what's going on. It's crazy. Whoa, really? Yeah. You, you know, that's like a little, there's like a little flap door and it's, it's a simple, it's much simpler than a electronic fuel injection with a computer and all this stuff and it's taking readings yeah. and yeah, it's what, what, I, I had a, I had a friend in college. He was a, um, he, he worked as an auto auto mechanic for a while. And he was talking about how there was a change that happened. Um, I don't know what year it was, but he talked about how they used to design the cars with the idea of like the person who bought it would do maintenance on them. Right, like I would understand what's going on in on in there, yeah, and and there was it was like really old cars. It's like you could open a hood, and you could practically stand in it in inside the engine compartment with the engine. It was like that was how much space was in there. And he said that at a certain point, it was like what would happen is that they would do that. There was like this hierarchy where it was like someone would design the body and then the chassis, and then the engine person would come in next. And then the engine person would take up as much space as possible. And then the, then the AC person would come in and then have to design. So they fit all their shit around where the engine was. And it's just, it became about these people just like cramming shit, like into and on top of everything. And then you've got like the corporate that are just like trying to save as much money as possible. And so they're like, no, do this. Or, or they're going on fads or something like whatever they want, like the studio interfering with a movie. Right. Yeah. And so there, yeah, there's all this. The left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing, probably, and designed by committee, like <laughs> sometimes works. <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> yeah, someone someone was telling me actually that's really interesting that like design trends start with the automotive industry because they take so long to tool up their manufacturing. Like it takes so many years to change the assembly lines that they that when a trend starts there it will eventually work its way out to the larger culture but it generally i don't know how this worked exactly this this came from like yeah this came from somebody who was like 
because they have these like companies that are like trend analysis companies. Um, I don't know what they're like now. That must be insane. Um, yeah, I can't imagine. It really it just does seem that seems a cult to me. Oh yes, yeah, for sure. What I'm doing just seems like normal shit that humans do. <laughs> <laughs> whereas they, whereas these people are trying to steer and manufacture culture literally is yeah. literally what they're trying to do. Yeah. Well, think about advertising is I mean, that's just a just a psyop. That's the idea. What's funny is that like I think it used to be more of one. Yeah. Um I because I've worked in ad agencies and most of those people don't know what the fuck they're doing whatsoever. Oh yeah, so you're saying they've become less good at the psyop? I, well, they've become more about trying to jockey and win awards. Oh yeah, really? And and like, I think it used to have because there's another thing where it's like you know how like everything is just sort of atomized into like smaller and smaller chunks, and like things are like, um, um, everything is like we're we hire out one company to do one thing. And then that company hires out three other companies to do the same, do parts of the one thing. So it's this like, really. So if there's like a really, um, I think it probably still happens in the very large at the top of the, of the stream, but downstream, I don't think it's happening as much. Yeah. I think it makes sense. That makes sense. I think that, I think most people are just trying to kind of do cool shit. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's kind of like how, I mean, that's kind of how a lot of things work, right? you know so that the kind of the people that are always doing it can believe that they're doing something good and that they can have some kind of this is a really cynical view by the way but <laughs> they can have like uh, plausible denial uh, advertising is cynical. right yeah so it's like kind of like dude why does it remind me of what the explanation that's always given for secret societies it's like oh well the individual cells don't necessarily know what the top echelons are doing but it really is kind of like that yeah. Like some of them are more involved than others, maybe, and there are, are players that move throughout. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. It's like the corporate world is just a cult to me. I don't know. Well, and, and I, I think the thing is, is that most people don't want to think that that's how it works. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, when if you stare at it for longer than 10 seconds, it's like, oh, that's totally what's happening. Yeah. And I'm, uh, I'm listening. Um, I'm listening to this podcast that it's, that is uh, it's Louis CK and what's the, what's the guy's name? Shane Gillis. Um, and they're going through all of the American presidents. They're just talking about all the American presidents. And it's really funny because uh, you, you like Louis CK will, will sort of like, he'll drift towards that stuff for a second. And then he's like, and then he'll, he'll like recoil from it and be like, but I don't really know if that's how, it, you know, I don't think, I don't know that that's how it actually works. I don't know what I'm talking about, like wh- whatever, but you can, you can see that it's more like he's resisting facing the fact that there's some sort of conspiratorial, conspiratorial nefarious thing going on. Yeah. Um, I have to check that out. It's really good. It's really, really good. Yeah, I think a lot of folks do that as well. And it really it is probably just I think it's because 
most people don't think like that. Most people aren't psychopaths. And so like, I want to believe that the, the people have everyone's best interests. The people at the highest you know, levels have everyone's best interests at heart. But if you know anything about corporations, you know that that just isn't true. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, I think, I think there's a thing that happens where, um, cause so there's the concept of the egregore, right? You know, that one. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, you know, there's also the, like, it's kind of similar to the idea of the genius loci or something it's in, in, in an animus context, it totally makes sense is that there's a certain point where the, the corporation exists unto, as an entity unto itself. And it literally is using the people as cells to its body. Yeah. And, and there might be, there might be an aspect of this where like, they don't even understand why they're doing why they're doing the thing, but they're just caught up in the body of it. I think we're right? kind of like that. I mean, I think we are kind of just amalgam of spirits. Yes, I mean, I you think know? the Egyptians I, thought there were seven. I there maybe is more. You know, it was probably like hundreds. Oh yeah, a whole <laughs> a whole universe. <laughs> Future remorse, transmitting your asshole spirits. Into- <laughs> <laughs> I like it. That's three hours. Wait, what? We almost hit three hours. Wait, did we really? Almost. Wait, did uh, did you run out of tape or something? <laughs> no, I was just going to let you know. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> no, because no, you the the video froze for a second. I was like, oh shit. Oh. What <laughs> yep. We're running out. I got to change the spool. <laughs> I have to change the internet. Give me a second. Yeah. Got to get yes, more internet. Switch them out. <laughs> well, hell yeah, man. Are you, uh, do you, do you, you feel like, you feel like we should, uh, we should bottle it up for, for right now? Yeah. I'm probably hitting, I'm just probably losing steam is all. Uh, no, that's fair. By the way, is that like a little Oregon? Generator thing in front. I don't know, man. I bought this at an estate sale, and it's an obelisk made of some sort of stone. But I can't tell what kind of stone it is. It has little fossil-looking things in it, perhaps, or oh, so it's solid. It's the solid thing. Yeah, it's made out of some sort of stone. Oh, okay. Uh, I'd have to take a closer look. I I could maybe help you figure that thing out. Here, I'm going to show it to you then, because I want I want to know. It just called out to me, and I could feel its power when I held it. Oh, it's probably something. Oh, oh wow! So it's it's like black and gray. You know, it's you know what it sort of looks like. Mm, it's probably you know it's likely a type of jasper. Would be my guess. Um, but I was hoping so. Um, it's probably likely to have a Jasper, but there's also, as it doesn't quite look like this, but you should look up the stone called Merlinite. Oh, that's already love the name of it. It's Merlin. Merlin. Yeah. Based oh my on God. Merlin. He's the best. Um, yeah. So it's called Merlinite. It's one of the first crystals I bought actually, but it, it kind of looks like that. I don't think that's what that is. I think that's likely a type of Jasper. It looks like uh, some type of Jasper to me. But it's what does really it feel cool like? Formations. What does it feel like when you hold it? Like, what do you feel internally, energetically? I can feel power drawing down from the. It just feels fills me with. 
Do you I feel can, like you're, I can feel, you feel power. Like, do you feel like you're grounding? Like the movement is down and out. Like you're rooting and grounding. I don't know. Maybe I've never thought of this when I've held a crystal before. Let me find out. I don't know because since you said it, I don't know if I'm if I'm feeling it just because of that. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, sure. But it does it was, have like a downward motion to it because that's the first thing I said, right? I feel power yeah. coming down from above. Yes, that's why I was asking that. So okay, um, cool. Which could be, I mean, it could be a quality of the shape, but not necessarily. Um, the reason I ask that is because different stones, like, and this is something, and I actually don't know what to do and make of all of this stuff. It's just, this is what I've been experiencing. Yeah. Um, so, so like crystals that they say are grounding, there will usually be this quality of like, you sink into your body. And there's this, this feels like there's a slight movement and settling and different ones. Will have different. I, I remember I held, uh, I have a, a jet, which is like yeah. also a black stone, but what's interesting about that is what it does is it, you, it sinks and then it projects out. So Ooh, it almost okay. do, it also makes like, it kind of makes this like shell around. Oh, I want to check that out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'll be, more, I'll be more mindful of that. I've never even thought to. I, I don't know much about I've always just liked liked stones of all kinds and crystals. Even since I was a kid, those were just the gift shops that we always had to stop at for me. Yeah. You know? Um and I like the feeling they give me, but I don't know much about what is what is happening. Well, not even so much. I know I can feel what's happening, but I don't know what the actual like what the properties that are commonly said about this are. These stones, yeah. I just know how it makes me feel a little bit, but I haven't thought about it in that embodied sense before like you're describing i yeah, always just it, thought i liked them yeah well yeah, i do it, but you know yeah and it, it, it's it's funny because when i was introduced to them this was from that same shaman person i was talking about uh it was after one of the sessions and he literally he just handed me a crystal is this like quartz? And I was like, oh, that's cool. And I'm like holding it in my hand. And then I suddenly like I have this, I stop and like my like I look into the distance and I feel inside of me. It's almost like someone turned on a sprinkler and then like a fountain was spraying up like inside my body. Yeah. And I cool. and I was like, oh fuck, am I into crystals now? <laughs> yes i remember <laughs> that's such a great moment of the oh fucking mind the crystals now because it's just it's it's real i don't it's know real. what to make of it either but it is yeah it, it, it's it is the most like this is bullshit like it, yes. out of all the stuff like people will dismiss astrology and everything else but they'll really like if you collect crystals they're like what the fuck is this and i dismissed crystals deep into even believing in a lot of other stuff i thought i would never or believing in is not a great word interacting engaging yes experiencing yes yeah for sure that's funny (laughs) yeah it's true i yeah uh uh, next are you gonna get into that soon palmistry oh my god no i have had that i did have read a long time ago you know it's funny i know i know women who actually have like um real romany like you know quote-unquote gypsy ancestry that like know all that stuff yeah it's interesting i think like we said the the fractal nature of things it only stands to reason that that's probably you can read off of that you probably could yeah well i mean it's it's like it is it 
you know, it's the one, it's the, the little contains the large, like as right. most so below it's that thing, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't want to keep you any longer. So we've already done three hours, which is we did the Rogan thing. Good, we did, we did it, it, man. We did it. Yeah, hell yeah, <laughs> absolutely. No, I'm happy, dude. I could talk to you for. We'll have to do this again because I had a, just a blast talking to you. <clears throat> Same here, me. and just hearing about some of your experiences and some of the stuff that's similar interest. It's always it's always just cool to to rap about that stuff. Well, I you know I I tell you what, if you want to do it again. Maybe we could, what would probably be better is we could just drill into one specific thing. Dude, I, I mean, I, 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 I sort of love that we kind of went all over the place. Oh, me too. I love the, um, <laughs> have you ever listened to Where Did the Road Go? Oh, yeah. So I like what he does there. Mm. It just has like revolving door. Of people that come in, yeah. Yeah. yeah they, sometimes they, it's someone that's never been on there, but sometimes it's a returning guest. Like yes. I like that because you can continue on the threads. And he's a really interesting dude too. Yeah. Uh, I've always wanted to talk to him about Kundalini because Me I don't, too. I don't quite understand it. I don't really know what the hell it is. Like, I think I've experienced it. I actually, I'm almost sure I have, but then at the same time, I'm like, is it really? I don't know. To me, I think it was uh, the only time I, I think I've experienced it on LSD. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've definitely uh, that same trip I was talking about with like the psilocybin slash Iowa. I definitely experienced it on that. Yeah, I I don't know. I don't quite know what it is either. But what, the way he describes it, that electrical feeling, mm-hmm. I have had at times. And then I've also had, and I wonder if this might be something to do with it. But I've had like, you ever had a brain zap? I don't know what it like. They what happen do you mean? sometimes when you're on withdrawal from certain. Um, certain like SSRIs maybe or that kind of stuff, you know, like antidepressants or what have you. Um, but they happened to me when I was withdrawing from um methamphetamine, and they happened a lot when I did mushrooms while I was withdrawing, and then I've had them recently under the influence of nothing. And I kind of got the feeling that it was actually some, it's something knocking at the door, like saying, Hey, what's up? <laughs> like a communication what, of some kind. What even happens? If, even if that's just from my body, uh, it's yeah. like a, it is like a zap that you experience in your head, but also. Does it, if, does it feel like there's like electric electricity shooting through it through your yeah, head? Yeah, but it's like kind of up here. It's just it's in your head, up in the head area. But it's almost like sometimes feels like it can. It's happening to your whole consciousness. consciousness. But it, I don't know well, how to describe it. Was funny there, and there's a there's a book on Nagon by Damo Mitchell. Uh, the I think it's the, called the Taoist Guide to. to Complete doubt that was got a Nagong or something like that. There's a there's a thing he talks about that like on your process of the alchemical journey, there's a thing you'll experience that they call the three thunderclaps. And it sort of sounds like what you're talking about, where it's like oh interesting. You get you almost get this shock to your head. And it, it's yeah. like lightning striking your brain. Yeah. And that's sort of what that sounds like you're talking about 
That's really cool. I'll have to look into it. Wow, that's wild. <laughs> Man, that is wild. Thank you. You've helped me un- unlock a couple things like that. Same, same here. <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, yeah, uh, but okay. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna actually, I'll actually let you go, dude. Thanks for talking. Thanks for coming on. It was great to have you on, and we'll have you back. Yes, and I, I will. I would love to do another one of these for awesome. sure. Do you want to tell people where they can find you? Oh, okay. <laughs> No. Um, yeah. Cool. Uh, so, so my website is uh, just kurthuggins.com, K-U-R-T-H-U-G-G-I-N-S dot C-O-M. Um, you can email me at create, C-R-E-A-T-E at kurthuggins.com. Um, I also have a Redbubble site. I just, I just released, like, I just, I've started doing t-shirts now just randomly. I don't know why. Those shirts um, are cool, man. I, they're really cool. I love it. <laughs> someone, someone actually ordered one, which nice. I'm super excited by. And I, I have more that I'm working on. Um, I'm, I've got one that's, that's, uh, going to be a, um, a reality tunnel jumping union. That that's a logo for that. And then I'm going to do, I'm, I think I'm going to do one for Mithras Air. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> cool. But uh, look look up, uh, uh, be the PSYOP you want to see in the world. That's that's the one that's that I just did. So Yeah, I like it a lot. Thank you again, man. I hope you have a great rest of your night. Oh, man, this is so awesome. Yeah, this is uh, a great time. Have a good one, too. Hey, we'll talk to you soon. All right, take it easy. You do the same. <laughs> Bye. Wow. Was that really three hours? Time certainly flies when you're flying by night. I know that Kurt has left me with a lot to think about, and I hope that that conversation left you with a lot to think about as well. Please check out his website, kurthuggins.com, and check out his Redbubble site where he sells his shirts. His art is fantastic, and the shirts are really cool too. I'll leave those links in the show notes so that you can check them out for yourself. And listen, if you want to come on the podcast and tell your story of any strange encounters you've had, uh, unexplained phenomenon, alien encounters, ghosts, cryptids, magical workings that you've done that have caused synchronicities to occur in your life or any sort of spiritual experience that you've had, I'd love to hear it and I'd love to talk to you. So visit me at my website, www.nightbirdpodcast.com and drop me a line if you'd like to come on the show. We'd love to have you on to talk. You can also just email me at tim at nightbirdpodcast.com. That works too. Thanks again for listening. Uh, I hope y'all have a great night. I got to fly.